Muhammad, good morning. Early on a Sunday here. I'm going to grab some food while people roll in. Woke up kind of early today. There's not even a point in paying attention to the Super Bowl. Crypto looks like it's going to moon today. So it's going to be some fun. Just gathering some breakfast here. Let's chill for a while. Conlon, how are you doing? Everyone's doing good this morning. So Chainlink started kind of going on its run for the year. Um, really just beginning so i've kind of you know just not really do anything with it um basically you have to kind of understand how chain links history works you know it was basically an off cycle coin last um last cycle so when people were disappointed that it didn't moon on its second pump of bitcoin it's because really like the like chain link ran from under a dollar to 50 plus bucks uh and started early um like chain link was kind of running in 2019 and by the time uh the second sort of like pump of bitcoin happened last season before the ftx crash and everything uh chain link had already put in like you know well over a hundred X or thousand X, whatever, depending on what pennies you pennies you bought it at. So really it had a pretty solid first cycle run. And um then all crypto, as far as altcoins, you know, that are largely driven by speculative hype will typically crash like you know, ninety percent or whatever. Uh Ethereum crashed. Well, let me get Logan up here. Um so if you recall, like Ethereum crashed, um, Ethereum's first cycle, it actually crashed worse than Chainlink. I think Ethereum crashed like 95%, Chainlink crashed like 91 from its high. So it went from like 50, you know, 53 bucks or something down to about five bucks. So that's pretty normal for first cycle um, currencies. Pretty much anything will do that. Bitcoin did that, Ethereum did that, Chainlink did that, and you will expect this to happen again. So the same way this time Ethereum dumped like 80%, um, the next cycle uh, or after this cycle, Chainlink will drop 80%. But what you don't know is from what price. So it could go to like $500 and drop 80%. It could go to $200 and drop 80%. You just don't really know for sure. But we do know is that the second cycle for a coin is really important. It's one of the biggest returns on investment one is ever gonna make in anything. And the reason for that is the first cycle of a coin, you probably missed it, but that's the odds. Um, the first cycle was is typically also unproven technology. So you have no idea like, you know, if it's vaporware or bullshit or whatever. So your allocation is probably smaller. So maybe through you know, a small a small amount of money into the thing versus a larger amount, right? Because the safer you feel with something, the bigger your bag's likely to be. So the second cycle of a coin, you know, once something has proven that it has definitive fundamentals, smart money jumps in, rich people jump in, ETFs and whatever the fuck else is going to come, they're going to jump in. And basically everyone's going to just go absolutely haywire with the thing. That's what happened to Ethereum in the last cycle, right? 
basically all of the new projects came to Ethereum and it became sort of like, you know, you know, the, you know, the hard money choice and all this other narrative spin up out of, you know, out of nowhere. And basically it ran like crazy because it was considered like the legitimate choice and kind of the successor to Bitcoin or whatever. Right. So you saw a little bit of that happening with Solana um, early this year. And so it's had a nice little run. But what everyone sort of like missed and continues to miss is that of all of the various crypto projects on this planet right now, um, and that includes all of our little favorite micro caps and everything else, like Chainlink has the best tech probably of everything. So the reality here is um, that the connectivity tech that Chainlink has come up with in terms of basically just cross-chain capabilities, real-world assets, banking, stocks, you name it, it's got the narrative to run for the next several years as kind of like the big legitimate institutional choice. And um, the Grayscale um, Chainlink is priced at like 75 bucks or something, whereas actual Chainlink is only 20. So you can get an understanding of sort of like the hype and attitude towards this thing, and it's gonna run like crazy. So my largest like cash bag in terms of how much money I put into something is definitely this season chain link. I'll admit that pretty much straight up. Um, if you buy it, you're pumping my bags or whatever, but like, it's a pretty large market cap. So, you know, your, your little buys aren't going to make any material difference on my bag. So I'm not really worried either way, but basically I think like, where's my target for chain link? I think the um, obvious choice is previous high. First of all, um, I posted some charts looking at the last time Chainlink was at $5 and how long it took to get to $53. That was about 308 days. Uh, this time Chainlink went to about $5. Um, and uh, I painted a box on here of 308 days. And that puts us at uh, prior all-time high for Chainlink on April 16th. So we're really talking about just like, you know, very close. Now, it could go actually faster than that. You could go to all-time high quite literally within a few weeks. Um, it could move with breathtaking pace now. Why? Because, like, you know, it's mostly just diamond hands and shit that own this thing. There's a bunch of wallets um, that were noticed. Someone bought, like, $80 million worth or whatever. Um, so the smart money is going to be buying, and there's going to be people buying in, or in preparation for ETFs and whatever else. Um, you know, Grayscale might be buying more or whatever. So the reality is, is that like we're pretty early. And remember, I use all time prior all time high simply as a gauge of like past performance and managing that immediate expectation. But if you look at the general crypto space, it looks like the biggest sort of moves are probably going to happen this summer. Um, if we get a pullback over the summer for some reason, then we're talking about later this year either way it doesn't make any difference the the but the odds are this summer could actually front run everybody i'm i'm looking at like this year as much closer to 2016 2016 was a happening year for btc and what happened that year um was that it it ran big time um and last season uh happening year we had that covid crash and the chinese miner crash and that kind of wrecked the the bull market from commencing in 2020 and created a big capitulation event um, at that time. This time, there's not an obvious immediate capitulation event for crypto. We have the ETFs all formulated. There are no sort of like FUD factors for Bitcoin. 
there's no real FUD factor for Ethereum at this moment, at least nothing of you know any substance that's going to matter. And uh, there's no major FUD for Chainlink. Like, so a lot of the top coins um, should do fine. Um, and you know, the, the, the fact is like the larger market caps you can go into with a lot larger size. Now that's not to say that like my smaller bags won't actually become bigger than Chainlink. Like, um, take, say, take for example, my Zephyr bag. Um, it won't take, but a, like, it just simply goes back to all time high and it'll be bigger than my Chainlink bag quite quickly. Um, so basically, you know, your small caps are going to outperform for sure. But as far as like where one might park large amounts of capital with relatively less risk. Um, I think that sweet spot for the lower risk, higher gain capacity today, as far as narrative and everything else, Chainlink fits the absolute perfect sweet spot, even at this price at 20 bucks right now. So I think like, um, you know, been touting this thing for, you know, since $7 two years ago, you know, just about, and um, I've got some of my entries around like five to seven bucks. Um, I think my average might be around 12 now, but point is like, it's still at the, the absolute sweet spot for large scale capital at size with the lowest sort of like risk profile in my view. So like if, you know, if I was going to do a crypto instead of stocks, for example, it might be a BTC ETH or a chain link, something like that. Um, Solana could also continue to run. Um, but like link still has to catch up to Solana on the Bitcoin chart. And Link's BTC chart looks absolutely explosive at this point. So I think there's a pretty good odds that, um, you know, Chainlink and Solana may run to all-time highs almost at the same time, um, even though Chainlink's a bit behind. So I think the ROI at the moment is better for Link than Solana, and my allocation actually, like, reflects that is essentially at this point. But um, Logan, how you doing, man? You having a good morning? Yes, sir. I only post content you, when we're uh, going up because if you post content when, when you're going down and you're like, it doesn't get views, you know, it's funny because yeah, one no, guy, one guy I recently true. saw, he was like, I always sell whenever I see that Logan shippy guy going viral. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's probably like, really it has been on point though. That's like when I start things. going viral, it has been good. a great sell signal, but it's like, all right, my content goes. Cause I always time it like right when it's starting to pump. And then you have a pretty big rally. Yep. And then like once my content gets shared a shit ton, it's like, yeah, that is that is a pretty good sell signal. But then it's the it's that price meme effect, Logan. 100%. It's like price makes yeah, price makes people look at the uh look at the T um YouTube, look at um whatever. Yep. And nobody gives a shit when price is low. Most people are imbeciles, pretty much. That's the reality. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. uh it's I mean it's going good, man. I it's crazy because <clears throat> you know, like this was uh, just a couple weeks ago, I, you know, lost crazy amount of, of money in my portfolio. And, um, what happened? I just, it, no, what like, just like the market nuking, you know what I mean? Like it, it, Salana went down oh, from a hundred down yeah. to like 82 or whatever it oh, was. Sure. And then, you know, Rune yeah, went from fucking $7 down to like four or like three, something like 389 or whatever it was. And then like all of a sudden now everything's surging again. And like, I feel like that was really kind of the last um, nuke, if you will, and and now it's just going to be. But didn't you feel? But up. didn't you feel pretty? Didn't you feel pretty comfortable? Oh, one hundred percent. I started laughing. I was laughing, bro. I was losing hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I was just laughing. I'm like, 
Like, <laughs> well, this is going to come back no, pretty but, aggressively. And like, what do you know? I'm only down like 50 no, grand now from that, like, that high. Yeah. It's a super bullish market, like on the whole, but also just like, you know, we, you and I both know that like take rune, for example, I mean, you're super fucking early. I mean, really, if you think about it, like you're barely like, you know, a two X over the deterministic price of rune and the deterministic price of rune went up with BTC going up. So, you know, rune's going to fucking fly. It's just yeah. a given. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think if you, if you look at things, even in the worst case scenario, if they're, if they're a quality project and they just go back to their previous all time high, what does that do for you and your life? You know, like if, if you look at what, what was the, um, I mean, with Rune, right? Like the previous all-time high was about or even even two thirds of the way to all even two thirds of the way to all-time high. Yeah, if you were like, "Fuck it, I'm out of here." Yeah, well, if you're at right, what is, you don't, what's the like, price of Rune right now? It's at like uh, five bucks, maybe somewhere in that range. Five fifteen, yeah. Yeah, so if it, if it went to if it went to ju- you know, let's say fifteen dollars, that's still a three x from these levels. Like, if you're concentrating capital, a three x is pretty fucking good. You know, obviously in crypto standards, it's it's not that fantastic, but still, like compared to TradFi, yeah, like three hundred percent gains. Think about this, Logan. Think about this, Logan. Fuck that. Listen, here's what, here's what we're gonna be doing. Like, <laughs> I, I took so many two to three X's so far, and I sold them, and um, I, I moved them into stuff that hadn't moved yet. So, for example. Like during the Zephyr bottom, I was selling stuff that was yeah. up. Uh, Dimension, I just two x that like within like a day after buying it. I'm like, fuck this, I'm out. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So sell that. I sold half of it, and then <clears> I took <throat> that half and I dropped into the Zephyr like twelve, and now it's at seventeen. Um, I didn't so, buy any you know, more Zephyr. I, like, I didn't you- buy any more Zeph simply just because I'm like, well, I got I got enough to where. Yeah, I, I was like, what? A, like, it's yeah. it's not like I I believe in the privacy narrative, and I already I just have so much money invested in crypto already that I'm just I'm comfortable in just writing yeah, it sure. out because if my portfolio does a 10x from these levels, if my entire portfolio did a 10x, which I think like Zeph could do a with 20x, and Rune could do a you know, yeah. Rune could probably do a uh. Uh, like seven X from these levels would be like maybe I think like around 30 bucks. I'm I'm just not being aggressive. This site, like here's what I seven, think velocity, right? Some guy was like, Oh, well 2025 yeah. is probably going to be the time. It's all about velocity. So if the market pumps insane during 2024, if we pump hard and fast, I'm exiting in 2024. I don't give a fuck about the four year cycle. I'm not going to get caught yeah. as someone else's exit liquidity. You're- yeah, this is smart. Like the thing to do, um, Logan, is like if if you get like a five X on something even or whatever, uh-huh. the reality is it's really, really easy to find a two X on something yeah. somewhere. Yep. So you could it's much easier to do that to get a ten X than it would be to sort of like ride a thing to a ten X necessarily. Mm-hmm. So um I, I think yeah, like if we're early enough, we got in so early into this cycle that like you know, most of our stuff's going to credibly 10x, if not more anyway. And then like, do you go for a 20x, whatever? That's a big I think maybe. that there's like, there's this balance between finding projects where some people would say that's a dino coin, but like the fundamentals have increased because like with Rune, for example, it is kind of a dino coin, like a dinosaur coin. People would say like, oh, it's old and like, don't invest in, you know, only invest in the new hype. But it's like, if something hasn't reached its full maturity or like its full value potential, 
and then it has during the bear market, like those are strong fundamentals. And I think that Rune has a way more of a chance of hitting its previous all-time high than a lot of other projects in the space, you know? And, and well, so- Well, keep in mind, Rune is only on second cycle. Yeah. So the thing is, remember, I just as I said about Link 2, second cycle coins that have proven their yes. worth and have proven their, proven their tech is not bullshit, proven they're not vaporware, and have proven that there's a lot of growth coming, which Rune has, especially given the amount of TVL mm-hmm. and traffic it picked up in the last year. Like the reality is like the second cycle is the one where you feel much more comfy about the risk. You feel much more comfy about like the upside. You have a lot more comfort about the downside in particular. You also right? see you see where the- people buy, right? So like a, if if it went it went to a yeah. dollar and then people started buying aggressively, right? And then it went to seven dollars, and then it dropped back down to like three eighty nine, and it's like people started buying aggressively. So you can see, hey, this thing's going lower, and as it goes lower, all of a sudden it gets bought up by a lot of fucking people, which means that there's belief there because it could only go so low before you're gonna mathematically find these buyers. Not to mention, not to mention Rune has very little speculative multiple baked in based on its deterministic price, so you know it's gonna be fine. Here. Yeah, because if BTC doubles. Um, Rune must double yep. pretty much from here. Yeah, and then I saw so I right? saw so like, Pedro even- on here was he he commented on one of my posts and he's like, hey, can you mention that Habibi coin? Um, so in my latest video, I I mentioned it. I have a lot of of my uh, buddies that were in Luna, and you know that they're same guys that went from Luna and shilled me IMX, and you know we we did really well on IMX, and then some of those same whales are going heavy in in Habibi, and the reason why is because. HBB Hubble protocol has a, a really strong chance of becoming the DeFi hub, kind of like uh, what MakerDAO is to Solana. That's what H- Hubble protocol has the potential of becoming to Solana, right? So if MakerDAO to w- what MakerDAO is to Ethereum is what Hubble protocol could become to Solana. And it's just a chess move, right? So it's like as Solana, if you believe that Solana is going to continue to grow, you know that people are going to want to lock in their gains, borrow against their Solana borrow, lend, you know, get interest, all that good stuff. And that can happen on Hubble protocol. So there's the HBB like 2.0 tokenomics that are that are coming out soon, um, where there's going to be also like a burn effect. So I think that uh, Hubble protocol has a has a huge HBB coin um, has a huge upside. Uh, It's kind of like a levered bet on Solana. Um, so I just wanted to mention that cause you know, some people are like, why, why did you buy? And it's just, uh, I, I believe that, you know, I'm, I'm in the end zone before the ball gets there on that play. And like soon it will become obvious. Cause if soul, if soul runs to like 300 to $500 this cycle, you know, the quality projects within soul are going to fucking moon. And a lot of people, you know, I, I told people at $20, like this is going to be a hated fucking run with Solana. And it was, you know, and people are still screaming, oh, Ethereum's better, whatever it is. It's like, dude, just focus on where the attention is. Hubble's the one that's like 30, isn't the one that's like 30 cents right now? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it went to like 60 cents. and pulled back to 30 right. or like 20. I think it pulled back to like yeah, 17, 70, you know. But Went to 77 cents, pulled back to about 17. That's a good Yeah, I've got friends that are investing Obviously. seven figures in it, you know, and like multiple sticks. We have, we have a group of us and like, you know, I, I think it's like if you can stack 100,000 Habibi coins, it, it could really be, you know, some life-changing games on, gains on that. Um, obviously, you know, do your own re- research. I'm not telling you guys to buy, but um, I think 100,000 is a, is a definite like kind of make it stack. Uh, if the project at, pans at, out. The, at the size, like relative to the kind of like portfolio that I have, like 
to me, I still like at, at large scale with money. I, it was like to me, it was um, like you know, chain links what I can yep. risk, sort of in the sense that like I don't. You know, yeah, if you're looking so, at you're looking yeah. at like okay, I have a hundred thousand dollars to invest. Like I wouldn't say put the hundred thousand in in hubby Bitcoin, right? I would say put it, you know, yeah, put like or put like maybe ten or fifteen grand, you know, <laughs> yeah, like ten percent. Like, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it's a high risk, high reward, but it's like it makes sense though when you when you just think it through. Because like Solana doesn't have a de facto stablecoin, so USDH, the Hubble stablecoin, where there's like high incentives to hold it because you can get yield and it's it's way better than like USDC and whatnot. I just yeah, we know those we know those product markets exactly. There is it's just you Solana has to prove itself. So it's like well, if you're bullish on Solana, you should probably be bullish on some projects that are helping the DeFi side of things. Like, you know, it's all, if this happens, then this happens. If this happens, then this happens. Nothing is fucking guaranteed. Nothing is promised. But even, even if Solana doesn't necessarily, if just, if the price of Solana grows, you know that people are going to want to be more degenerate and borrow and, and they're going to want to do it with a native protocol within Solana. So they don't have to fucking bridge assets and do all that shit. So anyway, I just think that it's a good, you know, maybe smaller, 5% 5% allocation play that could uh, easily 20X to 50X in price. So I'm in for the ride and we'll see. Uh, I, I think $5 is pretty conservative that it could hit during this run. Um, I'd be you know more than happy to take uh, quite a big chunk off the table these, at that point. Mostly, I'm buying it as Most of these players that have... What's that, Pedro? I'm buying it as we speak, HBB. I was... Uh, there was the reason I came up. Uh, I'd been, I've been messaging Logan just... I don't know prior and just within the space about HBB, it was the only one of the five coins that he mentioned that I had no idea about. So, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the power of content, right? Is like, hey, man, you you can only do so much research, and you know, I, I have a really solid group of of friends of mine that um, they research white papers all day, and they, you know, they're they're kind of tradfi guys that literally work high up in in the banking system they you know wealth management clients and you know they're 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 fucking rock stars bro they called luna at like you know a dollar to three dollars and made millions and then we all piled into imx and then you know since then we've we've hit some meme coins and other things like that but like this hbb is kind of like what we have identified as that luna 2.0 there's some mechanisms that won't allow it to have a death spiral because it is over collateralized but like with anything, bro, there's there is a risk that you know it could have a some some type of maybe f- systematic flaw and blow up. And but it's like a game; it's all just player versus player in a, a game of musical chairs. So if we pump hard and fast, and you're allocated before then, you know, just fucking take some some bread off the table, and you're you're going to be straight. Yeah, it's buy now, research later. So long as you're so long as you're allocated early, yep. you can make a lot of mistakes. Exactly. Yeah, just allocate or I mean that's 2023 when everything was you know the the world was ending and everyone thought crypto was dead. It's like that's the the first best time to buy. <clears throat> also has the most risk. Now you can see people are uh feeling frisky, right? And like these these dips are getting bought up. So I I still think we you know you can you can kind of be wrong and still be right at this point in time. Like you may not time the perfect entry, but overall yeah, you project, can, you're you can fuck up really badly here. You can fuck up really badly here, buy tops and still do mm-hmm. fine for the rest of the season. Yeah, like uh, another thing, it's, looking it's at Zeph, so looking at Zeph, for example, my my buddy was like, dude, you're crazy that you didn't sell at 50. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. 
I, I bought in at around, you know, I think $12. It went up to 50. It retraced back down. Like I wasn't ever plan. I, I just am not in the mindset of creating any taxable gains. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to sell until I'm selling until I really see some fucking JPEG rocks going for a million bucks. When I hear my Uber driver, (laughs) when I'm seeing these ETF commercials all over, when I'm, when my dad's asking me if you should buy more Bitcoin, like I'm not selling until that happens till like the frenzy happens. And when, when the frenzy, when I start seeing those signs, I'm going to be, you know, posting publicly, Hey, I'm taking some cash off the table and I'm okay with taking, or you know what? Like, that's when you start seeing the frenzy. Another thing you can do is just simply start setting stop loss at that point. Yeah. Or you go, you know, you start, right. you just go like, all right, every month from here on out, I'm going to sell like 20% and just like, I'm going to, or I'm going to take like 60% yeah. off the table, leave my 40. And if we go higher, great. And if we start going lower, <laughs> like, it, you, it, I think if you take, like, that's probably what I'm going to do is take like 60% off the table immediately. That way I've just mm-hmm. secured and locked in some profit. And then I'm going to be like every month, whether it's up or down, I'm going to take like another 10% off the table. And overall, you're, you're averaging out, you know, you, you just want to, you want to scale out the market, but you don't want to, you don't want to be the guy that like, like, you don't want to sell your, uh, I remember Wiz, Crypto Wizard was like, oh, bag. I'm going to keep a 20% yeah. moon bag just in case. And it's like, that's kind of going to be my strategy from here on out. Like I'm going to take profit aggressively. And if we continue to pump, let's say into 2025, you don't want to be the idiot who missed all that exposure, but it's like, uh, you don't want to be the idiot who took nothing, which is me last cycle. Because <laughs> the funny thing is, a lot of the stuff I bought Zephyr with had already done like a two or three X. Yep. So like, I'm pretty comfortable with that. Like, and I think um, Zephyr is also one of the kinds of things where you're, you, you, when you get into ultra low market cap things, you're, when you're getting into stuff like when it was under 50 mil market cap and those kinds of numbers. Um, Like in crypto, people have to realize that like a lot of stuff reaches a billion market cap. And we're we're talking about a billion. We're talking about like, you know, almost anything in the top 1,000 could reach those numbers. And many things did. They obviously dump afterwards. That's just how life goes. And they dump aggressively. But at the same time, like you don't want to fumble like really, really reasonable quality researched bags because it's hard to find the high quality mm. research bags. And so there's all sorts of stuff I traded. Like, you know, a great example would be Dimension came out last week. Why did I buy it? And then why did I sell it so quickly? I bought it like three-ish bucks. And then like on Osmosis, the fucking thing was like seven something. And it was because um, there was an arbit, you know, there was an arb difference between what was on osmosis and what was on like whatever you know could you um, i'm sorry mexi or something i'm like wait it's overvalued here um i'm just gonna sell so i sold half of it and it's not that dimension couldn't go back up or didn't go higher or whatever but the point is like anytime you're given that kind of a gift you say fuck it get out because like you know getting a 2x in the stock market takes you how long like you know forever to get a half decent chance to get a reasonable um 2x so when you get like when you have a gift horse, you know, don't look at the mouth. On the other hand, the the FDV of that fucking thing was like ten billion, you know, on a circulating supply of like you know under a, it was already a billion market cap. And I'm like, yeah, this is kind of like I'll keep a moon bag, so I kept fifty percent because you know these things become irrational, and it'll probably ten x also. But like my initial, I just fucking got took it out, bought some Zephyr like twelve bucks, and here we are at seventeen. So you know that kind of thing. 
um, <clears throat> when things are like grotesquely overvalued, um, no matter what, like the hype machine says, if you're ahead, just get the fuck out. <laughs> you can always buy something else. Um, that's why, like, it's good to have a couple of things like um, the Dino coins on your charts. Like, keep Litecoin, XMR, and like Doge on the list. And the reason is because if you're watching them, you might you might exit out of something that you've done a five x. But like these things are quite literally at the bottom of their charts. The odds that they're going to do a five x in a bull market is almost a hundred percent, right? Like, or at least three x. So you can just basically dump in that, just simply wait. And there's very little downside risk to those coins because they've been around so long. They have such a big market cap and liquidity depth. What do you what do you think about really, really like to push on on uh, the state of the kind of like okay, so 2020 obviously mm-hmm. government printed a lot of money handed out that stimulus more cowbell as Rao Paul would say mm-hmm. um yeah. you know and it's like i think that they're going to print money this year i think it's inevitable because they need to print money just to pay the interest on our nation's debt because it's like we're literally spending a trillion dollars mm-hmm. on interest and we don't have <laughs> the gdp to like our gdp is uh-huh. is not enough to even pay the interest on our debt right so that means it's inevitable that they have to print money just to even pay the interest. And then they're going to print more than just the interest. But it's like, do you think that they're going to hand out stimulus again? And that, cause like I look around and I see all these videos on Twitter and shit. And I hear stories of people out there that are, you know, like barely surviving, um, living check to check, you know, living out of their cars. And it's like, it's kind of hard for me to fathom that there will be, I know that there's, like money concentrates into the big players and now the big players can get involved in crypto because of the ETF and whatnot. So I think that that's, I mean, like the people that are actually going to invest sizable amounts, they can now play in this game, which is huge. But we all know that a lot of the, you know, kind of explosiveness comes from like the normie retail people, but a lot of those people are broke. So it's an interesting dynamic because like, again, a lot of people are fucking swimming in debt up to their eyeballs right now. So it's kind of hard for me to fathom that normal retail people could somehow like lead this market. Yeah, I I think that like a lot of normal retail are going to miss out this market, unfortunately, because of this. Um, Yeah, people who are on the edge don't have this money, whatever. They're just not going to be, they're going to be heavily under allocated. And they're on top of that, maybe they'll make a few bucks over the course of the year. And they're going to like, they're going to wind up showing up just in time to buy the top. (laughs) <laughs> like, but as far as like, yeah, stim- stimulus checks and things like that. Um, so right now we have one of the deepest sort of like retraction of M1 money supplies since like great before the Great Depression or something. Like, we're, yeah, there is quite a bit of monetary contraction right now. And of course, the interest rates are super high uh, and all of that. And maybe by third quarter or something, we start seeing sort of interest rates drop um, in order to distribute money. Like, yeah, could there be certain programs, you know, where some sort of stimulus checks type things are handed out to the lower end of the um, spectrum in order to sort of like, um, you know, keep them eating, essentially? It's quite possible. Um, I don't know how, like, I think we're at like record high credit card debt uh, and all of that. So, yeah, on the one hand, it's like stock markets markets are pumped and whatever. That's probably benefited those of us who have a lot of stock. Um, crypto has been pumping that benefits people that, you know, bought at the bottom, but yeah, on, on the whole, people are pretty much like having a hard time paying for food and whatever else, you know, with inflation. Um, and not to mention Logan, like we have like this generational shift and I talk about this a lot, but like in the next 
20 years, the reality is our children are going to have a tough time because there are not as many, um, there's not as many children being born, like, to be quite frank, like, and so who's going to buy, who's going to like, you know, rent those houses, who's going to like, um, rent the commercial real estate, who's going to be showing up to the party, um, to take on that debt and to pay it off with a higher GDP. So there's a pretty like significant, like generational issue going on right now. So it's like, this is definitely the season where I think like, even in crypto, you, you really can't afford to fumble the bag. <laughs> like you, You've got to do this right. And I think, um, um, like, because it's going to be harder um, in the future to make, you know, similar amount of money. Hope he dropped off. I guess he lost connection there. Um, we'll get him back in a minute. Anyway, um, but yeah, so I think you know, be careful. <clears throat> don't uh, don't play around too much and look for the low risk types of plays. Um, once you've sort of secured, you know, some gains in something, look for something really low risk. This is why I have like, like I said, Litecoin on the chart. Yes. The, the point of the point of having something like Litecoin is not to make giga money. The point of making Litecoin is to make like, you know, maybe a simple two x. And, you know, maybe you made a 5x somewhere else, you can double your money over here. So having a bunch of charts and having some that haven't run is important just to kind of like um, have a place to maybe make a little bit more multiple, but at lower risk. Anyway, Chugs, you were saying? Oh, no, I was just adding to your thing, not just Link, but Zeph as well. Zeph is quite a low risk, I'd say, uh, thing, which is why I sold off some XLM and got rid of my Trias bag. And I just went, fuck it, and ate ten a bit more. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that Zeph is. I wouldn't say like. I wouldn't call it low risk in the sense that it depends on what risk we're talking about. So, you know, there's actual protocol risks, like something bad happens with the system, um, the Oracle system, or something else. the The coin itself is mine, so there's nothing really risky about that piece of it. But you know, there's team tokens that they could sell, and there's you know, so there's definitely like price action risk, but. Yeah, but it's low. Um, it's extremely low. Compared At the same time, there's plenty of upside. Compared to something like Dodge, it's low risk. Dodge is low risk. Like, I mean, all it takes... It's still yeah. risky, bro. Like you, you, You're you, crazy if you think that Zeph yeah. doesn't have a chance of okay. going to zero. And like, okay. It's but, all, did you listen to what uh, I said? Low yeah. risk. I didn't say there's no risk. Low yeah. risk. Big difference between the two. Yeah, and and at these at these price levels at a good pullback, it's you know the financial risk would be just the price volatility risk, and then there's like the technical risks, and that's a different thing. Yeah, so that's what I mentioned, Logan, while you were gone. Is that like there is technical risk for sure. Now at the same time, like proof of work things like um, like um, Zephyr with the because there's not much ZSD in the ecosystem right now, so there's very little sort of like death spiral risk or, or whatever there. So the the Zephyr itself. Um, is mine, so that's the beauty of it. But the same thing is true of like your Litecoins, your Dogecoins, and all of those things. So definitely have all of those on your watch list, like your your what they call Dino Coins. And the reason is because that's where you, that's where you can cycle to when you've sort of made gains and other shit, and you just want to park it somewhere where you're gonna not lose your money. Like take Litecoin for example, it's like low for this last sort of like bear market it was forty bucks. Um, the low for the previous bear market back in um, 2018, 2020, it hit like $22.25. So it's been putting in higher lows for the past one, like past five, six years, essentially. And what that means is that like we are very close to the the low at the moment. 
so you, you, you know, you're not going to go to zero in Litecoin, for example. It's just I, I think that you're it's much like more likely to catch a win on Zeph than you are to catch a win on a meme coin. Is it, that's kind of like summing up what, yeah. what my thesis is, yes. right? So it's like I can see yes. that there's momentum and there's it's, a bottom. It's Logan. It's to the left. If the risk curve is to the far right, then you know something like Zephyr or like reasonable quality microcaps are a little bit rest, less risky than meme coins. Yeah, in that sense. but for yes. you to get the same type of parabolic gains that you could get from a meme coin, it's like is that going to happen with Zephyr? I don't know. It's it's time will tell how how that narrative plays out. And like I said earlier, with like the Newton law of for every like uh you know action, there's a kind of like opposite force of the, the same magnitude, if you will. I forget exactly what it is, but it's like as we go into this CB- yeah, equal and opposite. Yeah. Equal and opposite as we reaction. go towards the CBDC world where everything like money is literally max surveillance and controlled and they could shut your dollar off, people are gonna want to have real private money. So I can see that the the you know being in the end zone, it's like that you're waiting for the ball to get there. Clearly, the government has shown its cards that it wants to launch CBDCs, and the byproduct of that is complete and utter control over people's money. So it's like, well, what is the exact opposite of that? Private money that no one can fucking see, and that's what Zeph is. But like a lot of times, there's there's that story of a. Uh, it's a funny story where it's like there's a there's an old man on the porch, and his dog is sitting next to him, and the dog is kind of whimpering and you know it, 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 you could tell the dog's in pain and then some guy comes up and he says why why isn't your dog like what's wrong with your dog and then the guy says oh he's he's sitting on a nail and then the guy the guy says well why why isn't your dog moving he said he said because it doesn't hurt bad enough right so like as of now the same thing applies where people are in pain in the sense that yeah you know we have money that's kind of surveilled to an extent but once that pain becomes severe enough then people start taking actual action, right? And I think that we're we're close to that precipice where more people are getting onboarded into crypto, more people are caring about privacy than ever, um, but there still needs to be kind of that catalyst where CBDCs are launched to fully propel that movement. <clears throat> so, you know, it's something that could never happen yeah. or it's something that could happen really quite quickly. But I think having a little exposure to Zeph makes sense because if... CBDCs do launch, you know people are going to be looking for that alternative, 100%. Yeah, and and some of the risk would be like, you know, what's made illegal and where? And if that's the case, how many decks and whatever the fuck else happened to make it possible to get to those things regardless of the law, um, you know, in various countries and whatever, right? So like, and those laws are different in different countries. So that's the thing, like, um, it's not that like, if Europe makes something legal, it's automatically legal everywhere or something. So yeah, there's all these like there's all those kinds of risks, but really like for the short term, I'd say the coming year, I'm not so worried about all that. Like, what would I what what am I going to do with my Zephyr if we get to sort of like billion plus market cap, um, which is like my sort of like initial goal region? I'll probably take some of the the Zeph and convert it into ZSD in within Wallet, and like have it sitting in that black box, Logan. And so then what can happen is. Then at least like, let's say I took a third of it and converted to ZSD. I don't need to worry about necessarily um, the immediate price of Zeph because if it goes down, I could get more if I'd like. Um, but, and, and the other thing is like, once you're in ZSD, you don't have to sell ZSD to Tether later. You could then convert it back to Zeph at a much, even if it's at a much lower price and immediately convert it to cash if you want to. 
So there's going to be like plenty of ways to off-ramp it once you're into ZSD. You can convert it back to Zeph and do this. So I think the thing is like I'm, you know, like but being inside that black box helps a lot because you don't have to like, you know, you don't have to show this to a central exchange anywhere or an enter or to anybody, right? And that's the beauty of it. It's basically inside like it'd be no different than if you've made like video game gold in EverQuest. Um, no one's taxing you on your EverQuest gold, even though technically it should be taxable income. Why do they not tax you? Because like nobody can, nobody's keeping fucking track of what's happening inside of a video game. It's that simple. So like even video game gold technically would be a, you know, security and you should pay capital gains and arguably is crypto in a sense, because like, because it's basically like cryptographically generated, um, you know, algorithmically generated video game gold, but people don't pay taxes on that. So there's a lot of stuff that isn't taxed in the current like world order. What, hey, what do you and, think uh, about the crisis that's of- loading with uh, boomers that don't have, a, they're like displaced because there's not enough beds in like homes? Like, I'm just, I'm curious to know, because you're kind of, you're in the healthcare space and whatnot, right, Sefi? So it's like- I think they said, I, I think they said, first off, one, one interesting statistic I saw was that like something like 30%, or I don't remember the number, something along those lines, 30% or so of people in the age of like, you know, like they're middle age, like, you know, 25 to, you know, 40 age group people were like living partly off of their parents' dime. Um, that's, that's a lot of people, which is interesting. And then there's the other group, which is like boomers or whoever are running out of their retirement savings. Well, I've, like I've that. heard that so, there's a crisis you know. where there's already a huge shortage of beds right now. When I say bed, I just mean like a place for, a, uh, you know, the current Whatever the, yeah, like, the, eight, the the generation that's older than boomers, stuff. like they're they're in homes and stuff like that, and they're like assisted living, and there's already a huge yeah. shortage for them right now. And then the boomer generation, from what I've done research on, is twice as big as that current generation, and they're gonna have they have no place to like the, the assisted group. living is like extremely short on supply. And I've seen some people talk about this, but it's like also not really being talked about at all. But I think that. You know, I, I look at all this. I'm like, dude, this is this is a fucking crisis that's loading, and I don't necessarily know where like the most profit. Like in every crisis, there's also opportunity, right? So, you, I mean, I'm not saying I'll oh, go start fucking well, assisted living centers, but I just think, well, all right, you make a shit ton of money, you make a shit ton of money in crypto, and then you see this crisis loading, and it's like a, as an in real life, you know, real world business, it's like there's got to be some fucking crazy money to be make made in that industry um because it's, it, again it's like that that is going to happen and, and what you're saying right now is that obviously people aren't having as much many babies and stuff right now so like maybe the gen z millennial generation like okay we don't have as big of a crisis but the boomer the boomer crisis is about to fucking engage like it's starting right now i look at my parents i'm like do they they have not that much in retirement um they never really save money. Like I'm, I'm having to take care of them at fucking 31 years old. You know what I mean? Like, and I know that there are a lot of other people out there. So I'm just curious to know, like, what, what, what do you think is ways to capitalize on that opportunity? Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Cause there's so many different like headwinds kind of like smashing into each other at the same time. That's just like one of them. What I plan to do is so if I like, let's say I sell my chain link bag or whatever it is at, 
you know, $140. And let's say you like had that. $10 million dollars right after this, this, this crypto bull run, no. you're like 10 million bucks. What am I doing with it? Cause I'm not going to buy take, anything until the next, mil, what are you, you going to do with yeah. it? Yeah. What I would say like the next step is, um, so if you look at like where the stock market is today, um, tech has gone silly, you know, like crazy high. And I think a lot of the sort of Russell 2000, Russell 3000 shit hasn't moved at all. And you have a lot of stuff out there that has reasonable cash flows, food companies and ag companies and energy companies, whatever. And they may not have like the giga growth multiples necessarily, but there's some that are definitely undervalued because I watch all of those as well. And like, it's going to be very, very easy to jump into some of those and just add some, and you could just distribute that among like hundreds of stock. I mean, you don't have to even like, you know, try to pick the right one. And I think like, it's easiest to do that and then pick the stuff that has some sort of dividends and whatnot. So you're earning money every month or every quarter. And um, that becomes like just business income for you in a sense. And I think that's a reasonable way to sort of go about this. You could also go into ETFs and things, but the problem with doing ETFs and whatnot is in the stock market, a lot of times like those things, the dividend yields are not that great because they don't optimize for higher dividend yields necessarily they just sort of like optimize for whatever so or you can just simply just um look and see where the general state of the stock market is see what hasn't rallied and kind of just simply jump into those yeah. things so well are you I'm gonna be, much, are like, you gonna gonna be sitting nothing. out though for a while yeah. like just kind of so so my my uh i i guess my plan would be all right we cash out somewhere around what you what you identify as a top and then historically with crypto it's like well it takes about 365 days for it to bottom and so you know what do you just sit on your hands with a bunch of cash until then or are there like plays where it makes sense oh yeah i could make like five percent well, percent. If, the, if the, remember if the interest rates are high remember like in your like money market fund in your brokerage you're making five percent on that shit now so i don't think sitting in cash is for a year is necessarily bad if you're pulling Five percent yield that you can then take and deploy into whatever you want. Um, so now, and and also remember, alts will drop from into the next bear market like ninety percent again. So you will have plenty of opportunity. Like definitely, cash is king at that point because when when you get into a bear market, you need to go buy some things. And because remember, you don't, you'll only have to risk 10% of your bag next time, right? Each time you only want to be spending about 10% of your bag because you can basically 10x those, that 10% and keep the other 90% secured, right? That's the key. And then if you're making dividend yields on a lot of things, that cash flow that's coming in is low tax rate dividend, right? Like it's like 20% or whatever. So you can use that and you can buy more higher risk shit for the remainder of your living days. Yeah, that's where so, that's where I fucked out then with Luna is like I had quite a bit of uh, you know, gains and then it's like I should have just locked them in and I just wasn't think I, I everyone's going to look back at that and go like damn, I wish I would have done this, but it's like okay, what what can we do now, <laughs> right? And it's it's like yeah, there's the woulda coulda shoulda is, is is always there and the reality is like But you have to get your ass kicked happens, though. Have so, you ever I mean, did you ever get your ass you kicked like like that? I mean, I, I'm assuming that you oh, yeah. took some profit out of Luna, but like what what was one of your biggest like back in the days, you know, kind of like kicking the nuts where you had a bunch of money and then it it went to like zero and you're like, "Dude, I could have what you're saying, like I could have compounded." I I would say the the biggest probably sort of like dumps I have seen in my life um 
are are pretty much like Apple stock and uh, Bitcoin. So because remember, both of these things early days were hyper volatile. So, you know, you're up a fuck ton of money and then now you're down a fuck ton of money. <laughs> and, and then, you know, in your head, you're like, ooh, I should have you know, sold it or whatever. Um, the classic example where I actually sort of made out really big because my wife was correct um, again, is that like, I remember when Apple, um, I forget when it was, was around the time it was Steve Jobs' death, basically. That's kind of the story. And I was up a lot in Apple. I literally was like Apple only for, I don't know, like a decade. I put in every bit of my worth into um, Apple. Like my wife was like, you should probably diversify. I'm like, no, fuck that. I want Apple stock. So I went crazy buying Apple for um, a very long time, like ever since around like 2002 onward, maybe something like that is where most of it. Um, and then my family had some even before that, like the prior decade or whatever. But um, the thing is like, I, I got a lot. And what happened was, is that um, Jobs um, was on his deathbed sort of. And my wife was like, dude, you should sell Apple. It's going to tank probably. And I'm like, no, I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe it won't. Maybe that'll just be like, Maybe there won't, you know, maybe it'll be a buy the news kind of thing or something, you know, some bullshit. And so um, I, it, so the stock price dropped like 10% and 10% was a lot of money like to have happen in like the short period of time. And then, um, okay, I'm like, fuck this. All right, I'm out. Like, let's just kind of figure out what we're going to do. And then I waited like maybe six, I don't remember how many months it was, maybe six months, maybe more. And then I remember we were at line in like, I think we were at the Harry Potter ride or some shit at Universal Studios. I don't know. It was one of those rides in, in Disney World or Florida. And um, and uh, my family, I was with my family and the kids and everything. And I looked at my phone. I'm like, you know what? Apple's pulled back enough. Like, you know, I mean, pulled back like 45%. Like, fuck it. I went all in again. And then, of course, like the rest is history. So, like, I actually increased my bag a lot. I had to pay some taxes, obviously. Now, it was long-term capital gains. So it wasn't that big of a deal. But um, I actually increased the Apple bag a lot because my wife happened to be right in that instance um because it's not funny how like your wife could could literally not look at the market at all whatsoever not look at any charts and then she like that's what that's that's what mine did uh, with with luna she was like she saw the way i was talking about things and she's like yeah why don't you just take half of it out right now and i was like oh you don't know anything i'm like it's going to a thousand bucks Uh, you're gonna you're gonna watch you're gonna be so upset if i you know it's like i i I was giving every reason why i shouldn't sell she was like just take half and she was literally on like the same week it fucking topped, like she told me like two or three times, you should take out half. Uh, yeah. And then I had a bunch of purple haired yeah, feminists and, and, coming after me after all my fucking, you know, satirical posts and stuff. <laughs> my, my character I was playing that, that shit was so funny, man. When I had a bunch of purple haired <laughs> feminists coming after me in flocks, like, Oh man, those were the days, dude. I was, I was getting so many views on my videos and shit, just trolling them. And they're still tweet. Those tweets are, are living in infamy. And it's, you know, what's so funny is, so people, there are some people that have like posted those tweets recently and then like people will go comment because it's like pictures of my fucking tweets and they're like, what happened to that Logan Shippy guy? And then like one guy was like, man, that guy tripled down during the bear market. What a fucking Chad. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, I, I already had the absolute worst case scenario happen to me. Like everything goes to zero. You know, what's even worse than everything going to zero knowing, you know, knowing that you're right about the trajectory of crypto and then being scared because you took a big loss 
and then watching the market absolutely fucking send without you because you were too scared to follow your original yeah, thesis, right? Good. So like that's, I, I went, oh, how much worse can it get? Like I'm already down so fucking hard right now. And now rule number, rule number one, Logan, is the gamblers always come back. Like this idea that this is the last crypto cycle or whatever, get the fuck out of here. The gamblers always come back. It's the reason why like, Las Vegas is still there and whatever. And, you know, Wynn Resorts or whatever is, you know, putting in new highs and shit or whatever. <laughs> like, and, you know, like the gamblers always come, up, come back. And as long as the market caps are small and there's like a high upside, they'll always return one way or the other. I mean, there, so, yeah. there, there is another thing you can do if you don't want your thesis to fail, uh, Logan. Just follow Safi's thesis and then you can just blame him. Like, just absolve yourself of all guilt <laughs> and just yeah, go, Safi yeah. posted a rocket on a chart. That must mean it's going up and just follow that. Ever since Safi yeah. started talking about Zeph again, it's dropped two bucks. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, Safi, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, the, the, the other thing too, Logan, is like, I remember my wife telling me about like, facebook um you know it dropped after the ipo she's like you should get some and i'm like oh no it's gonna be the next myspace um as an example or like she's like oh this like elon musk character he seems interesting um and like tesla um you know ipo you should get some and i'm like oh no it's like whatever it's probably gonna dump and they're probably gonna go to zero and blah 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 like like you know what are you gonna compete against ford and toyota and whatever and so I faded so many things and my wife was right like over and over and over again. It's so funny. It's like, it's weird. Like if you're not in, if you're not in like finance and shit at all and like you are just simply like maybe hearing water cooler talk, you know, like your, your friends at work say, Oh, you know, this is interesting that you should almost never fade pretty much if like people are mentioning it and it's kind of early and it seems to have a buzz around it, you should probably take some exposure. <laughs> That's another funny thing. And it's true in crypto too. Whichever tickers people are tweeting about the most, like you should almost never fade the attention. It's like, just grab a little bit of everything. Yeah, the the only the only off. one that I, I've seen recently that I didn't like have at least a little bit of exposure to was uh, that circle meme. I saw like Nick, Nicholas Flamel and uh, some other people showing that one. That a, that a meme yeah, it's just a straight up meme coin, it? but it, it's funny. But also at the same time, I felt like it was just really forced. Like from an intuition perspective, I was like, I see what they're doing yeah. here, but yeah, I, I don't like, I don't really want to, I see a lot of posts that are happening, but the energy behind the posts is like, this is silly. Everyone's trying to force the next Pepe. And I'd rather just invest right. in like a That's fundamentally sound, even if it's like 500 bucks, it's like, dude, 500 bucks could, 20x in a fundamentally sound project you know what i mean like like hbb it could it could, it right. could literally 20x that 500 like i'd i'd i'm just not I in agree. the in, in an actual bull market you can find quality projects that are going to do meme coin gains like catching a meme coin whether it's circle pepe yeah outside of my autism like i don't have any other meme coins at this point because like it just is like there's so many of them and like everyone's trying to force that it's just like that season, it's going to be too diluted, Logan. So the moment one starts going up, everyone's going to start pitching their own meme coin. Nobody's unified. It wasn't like the Doge pump, right? It wasn't like the Shiba pump. Like, like there's no unity in the meme coin space at all. So the moment one goes up, everyone's going to pump their own meme coin and like the attention will be just too dilute, I think. I could be wrong. Like maybe all the meme coins pump. That's possible too. Um, but yeah, I don't really have any right now for this reason. Oh, he dropped off again. 
<laughs> in the middle of talking to him. Um, but yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, the meme coins, I think like, uh, you know, anything can move obviously in a bull market, but there are enough good quality projects this time around that I'm a bit nervous about owning too much meme coin exposure. Um, I don't consider Dogecoin really like that much of a meme coin. Okay. Okay, cool. Mike, I'm using the mic. I have a sure like the oh, okay. SM7B mic or whatever, and like it's connected yeah, and every once in a while it just like stops working, but I could hear you. But anyway, I, yeah, it feels very forced with a lot of these meme coins. And as soon as one mm -hmm. takes off, it's like, oh, this is the next, this one, you know, this is the next Pepe. This is the next Doge, next SHIB. Like so many fucking degenerates there. It's so player versus player. And there's like, again, what mm -hmm. you're saying, there's no unity. Like there's never going to be another Doge slash SHIB run again. Like it's, that was such a rare occurrence. And now, because like people get, that's that's why I look at this cycle, right? Everyone's like, oh, well, you know, the next cycle is going to be a four-year cycle. I think it's either going to be like a three-year cycle or a five-year cycle. I don't think it's going to be another four-year cycle identically. Like too many people have caught on to that narrative, if you will. Same thing with, you know, the meme yeah. coins. It's like- I feel, pretty, I feel pretty good about, Logan, the idea that this season, because of the way stock market and everything else looks, this season could just wind up being like 2016, which is basically up only. That's possible too. What do you mean by that? Um, like like little, So 2016 was a happening year. 2020 was a happening year, right? Like if you look at the kind of like BTC cycles. And um, I think, I can't remember. When was happening back then? Oh shit, and I can't remember now. Anyway, but the point is like you, you these kinds of happening time periods, like last season we had a giga dump, right? with COVID and everything. And usually what happens on these charts is whatever happened the previous cycle almost never happens exactly the same. This, it almost the opposite happens the next cycle. So well, you because, would think people like, are waiting right now for a dump, right? Like people me. are waiting, what, what's that next COVID crash? It's like, dude, I think this yeah, exactly. ETF was exactly. kind of that, that dump. Like that come. was that COVID crash, but we don't have a COVID crash. So mm -hmm. like what? Yeah. And, and the reason why this happens, Logan, is because Everyone wants to front run the dump. So it's like, hey, wait a minute. Everything's looking bullish. I wish there was a big drop and that way I could get buy in. So imagine right now, take right now, like, so let's take a coin like Chainlink. It's a 20 bucks and it's sort of like just barely breaking out of like a recent multi-month consolidation. If it drops to $12 right now, are there going to be buyers? Oh, hell yes, they're going to be buyers. So like it's an immediate, like everyone just piles in because everyone felt like, oh, I missed it. So if you have enough people that feel like they have missed a thing, then that dip is going to get bought. And if that's the case, that dip just doesn't show up because all of the people are sort of buying the dip and it just keeps bidding up. So it's like at this point, like the, that's why I was saying when, when even when Chainlink hit 15, as an example, I added a whole lot more dough into there because I looked at my stock market gains and I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to make that much in the stock market now comparatively i'm just going to go take a bunch and then just like you know triple down on chainlink and i bought more actually at like 15 so my average moved from like seven or eight to like 12 as a result of doing this and i was comfortable doing it because i felt like the upside was really good and if i bought that much at 15 you can fucking be sure i'm going to sell all my stocks and buy it at 12 so the thing is like you know there's an element of um i, I think going forward that the 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 giga crash or like a simple capitulation that everyone can just pick off and get rich that was the ftx crash as far as i'm concerned i waited like 
perfect example is like you're talking like May of like 2022 at the bottom of like the the you know 2022 crash. I waited a year and a half with my like take for example Chainlink because I bought at that price level, right? Like, what makes you think I'm going to sell now? I'm not. And if it goes back to those levels, it's like easy to buy. So that's what I'm saying is like the 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 this dynamic where everyone's wanting a capitulation to where you have a quote unquote easy buy, like that just happened for XMR, for example. Monero just had a capitulation from 170 down to 100 when it was delisted from Binance. And if anyone wants a capitulation wick, that's it right there. Also, like people the always say they want it and they never fucking buy it once it's actually discounted. They never actually never. No, I, I learned a, a deep lesson in crypto many years ago, and that is always buy capitulation wicks. It doesn't matter what the fuck coin it is. I mean, even, no, even me, even me with difference. Habibi, right? So like with the HBB coin, I uh, I yeah. bought at like 25 cents or whatever it is and had my initial buy at 25, 35 cents, and then it went up to like 70. And then it went all the way back down to like 17 cents. And, you know, I was like, fuck, that's, yeah, I, I want to buy more, but at the same time I'm allocated, like I feel, and then, and then at two X back to 30 cents, like within the matter of a week and a half, two weeks. Right. So you're even, even the, the fucking degenerate uh, that I am, like I even get shook sometimes with that, but then every time it retraces and then there's buyers, like that's, I mean, I, I I didn't look at the HBB chart long enough to like really see that. And I, I think the longer you're in a position and the more times you see where buyers come in and, and create support, it kind of validates your conviction level. And really seeing that that dip from 70 down to 17 cents and seeing how fast it got back, uh, bought back up and whatnot. I'm like, okay, cool. Like there, there's really people here because it, it's one thing when something pumps, but again, how long, how, how far is it going to dump? Same thing that we saw with Zeph. So my conviction in both of those plays went up now seeing, hey, they both retraced by fucking more than 50%. Um, and right when they got to what, like, what, what did Zeph retrace? Uh, what was the total percentage? Like 65, 70%? 80. 80%. Yeah, dude, I, 80%. Yeah, there was a, 80 and like you say, Zephy, the, the, more, uh, the more aggressive the, uh, the dump is, the more aggressive that next pump is going to be, that volatility, because that's what people are looking for. So, um. Yeah, I mean, I even it's way easier said than done to buy something after it just had a mega fucking dump. You know what I mean? Like, even if you believe in it, there's still still even the best of us get shook. Like, oh, should we well, really part, do it? Part of the shakeup, part of the shakeup, like in Habibi, would be like you don't know exactly how far Solana is going to pull back because exactly it's because like, it's lever. A, it's you, a lever a bet big, for sure. You had a big altcoin run up and Solana especially was like ran to almost like its last fib before all time high. Remember, it's like 120 or so was at that level. And then the all time high is basically its next level up. So the thing is, what you didn't know is whether you're going to retrace a couple of bumps. Right. And this sort of thing is normal in crypto. So if that happens, something like HBB would look absolutely wrecked on paper. Right. <laughs> like you, So it's not to say that it wouldn't come back up. It's just that like you have to have your eyes bleed for, you know, a period of six months if that happens. And, you know, that's just how life goes when it goes to ultra high volatility stuff. It's pretty like, you just have to be prepared for that. The minute you buy it, you should be prepared for that 80% retrace. Because like, you know, like, and that, and I was prepared for that when I bought Zeph at six bucks. I was like, Ooh, I'm buying the top here. This shit could go back down to $2 again. And so that's why I like, you know, you, you typically will not allocate enough at the bottom either. 
like HPB could be like a great buy right now relative to the the broader market. And you might and you might still not allocate enough. And why? Because you're worried it's going to drop 80% from when you bought it. Oh yeah. It's going to upset you to be in the red for that long. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think you you got to get a position at some point in time. I've said this with you a couple of times. It's like you got to get some skin in the game on projects that you think have upside potential. And then like, if they dip, great. If they don't dip, you know, well, Hey, cool. You, you got in perfect timing. That's like with rune, for example, I bought, I, I aped in heavily at like a dollar 30 and I was like, well, it could go down again, but then it's, it's, I don't think we're ever going to see another dollar 30 rune ever again, unless it fucking blows up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. If it blows it's up then yeah, of course we'll see zero it. But but yeah, it's like you'll you'll never know when you're gonna catch that real bottom or not. But like I think that um you know there there is a strong chance. I think there's a, a stronger chance that this could really be that bottom for HBB coin, like that buying at like a dollar thirty for rune. There's there's no one with really like baggage in the in the um in the investment either, right? Like that's that's another thing with with rune. It's like there's a lot of people that are still underwater that you know, bought at like 10, 15, 20 bucks or whatever it is. So I just feel like some of these charts, they really just don't have much baggage at all. And it's like, okay, yeah, those those are ones you just, you have to factor in that baggage as well. Like, uh, I know injective has no baggage. Um, quite a few other projects out there don't have any baggage. So you're going to have just like people are, are, are going to be like, Oh, price discovery. Let's just see how high it can go. And, And then they get greedy and they don't ever fucking sell. Whereas those people that are underwater, they want to, you know, at least get their principal back. Yep. Um, you know, so like, I think what I was going to say is that, um, um, yeah, I mean, you have to decide, like, are you going to buy the dips or not? <laughs> like at the end of the day, whether it's a BB or anything else. And if you didn't set aside any money, you won't be able to. Yeah. I think almost like having a benchmark of, Hey, I want to, I want to have this many coins, right? So like not, not necessarily what my USD value is. So like, for example, if I have a, a goal of, I think long-term, you know, HBB goes to 10 bucks, right? Let's say it goes to $10 if we have an insane bull market. Okay. If I have a hundred thousand Habibi coins, that's a million bucks in USD value. So I'm focused on stacking a hundred thousand. If I buy in today and it's at 30 cents and I, you know, put 10 grand in, I get X amount of Habibi coins. If I, if it goes down to 15 cents, I could put another 10 grand in and I'm just exponentially getting closer to my my goal of 100,000 tokens, right? I think it takes a lot of pressure off when you're just looking at the amount of coins you're accumulating rather than the USD value that you have because like USD value, like price is such a fucking meme because price could literally 5X or 10X in these coins within the matter of like a couple of weeks or, or a month, you know? So... Anyway, I I think that that's something that's helped me is looking less at the USD amount and just being like, all right, I want to get to, you know, ten thousand rune, twenty thousand rune. I want to get to a hundred thousand IMX tokens. Like that, I'm just purely looking at the number because if my thesis pans out, um, I know that these are going to be worth ten to twenty x the USD value in a full raging bull market. So, just some food for thought. Yep. Um, yeah, even Zephyr right now, like since a bunch of new users came on board with Nagato posting on Twitter that he was buying at like 14 bucks. Those are just a whole bunch of new dip buyers essentially. So mm-hmm. the volume that Zep put in this week um, rivaled the volume that, you know, 
happened at the breakout back in October. And the weekly candle right now looks really, really good, just like it did in October. So it looks really solid for a, a good move now. Um, it's as good a reversal like as you're going to ever see on a chart. So you know, there's no perfect indicator or whatever, but yeah, it looks pretty good. It's funny when you have something like Zeph that's trading in the um, like the teens, right? And versus you, you buy some of these other coins that are in like the the cent range or like around a dollar. You know, just when you see the amount of coins that you have, it does play a psychological role. Like I could see, I can understand why. You know, like if I if I'm gonna go buy, uh. Yeah, something like, the unit like Bitcoin. Buy. It's like I only get yeah. like a you know if I'm I'm spending ten grand, I only get like a, a whatever like a fourth of a Bitcoin, you know. And it's like that that doesn't feel as good as I just bought something that's a dollar and I got fucking yeah, a <laughs> thousand coins of them, right? It's just such a psychological thing. It's it's funny, but it's it's just it's so human nature. Even me looking at Zeph, I'm like, oh man, I only got like fucking you know fifty Zeph for this this purchase, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey Bruce, what's going on? Hey, how you doing, Bruce? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, man. Just enjoying the Sunday. Why am I HBBs worth so little? I don't know, bro. You haven't been shilling. Actually, I know exactly why you have not been shilling them. You're at you're at about what the the same price that you bought in that though, right? Right in that range. Um, let me look. Down? Are you down? It's probably it's at like thirty cents right now. So I think that's around your original buy price. I think I bought average around like 34 cents or something. Yeah. So not bad, bro. After a big dump, now it's right back at your uh, original. I mean, you should have waited, bro. You should have not listened to me at all and said, fuck you. And then I'm going to buy the next dip and get a better buy price than you. I'm going to dump, dump it out and buy Zeph. <laughs> Do it. It's okay, bro. It's okay. I, it, it's always so funny when people are like, oh, I'm not going to buy. It's like, yeah, you think your, your fucking buy is actually going to move the market? <laughs> you know, <laughs> People with like 10 grand or like, like $100, like, oh, I'm going to sit this one out. Okay, buddy, sit it out. <laughs> yeah, it's like your $100 is going to pump my bag. <laughs> oh, shit's funny. Like what's, um, what's your, one, one of our buddies, he, he just he bought like $100,000 worth of Habibi like two days ago. And uh, he called me. So my 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 buddy, uh, he's he's kind of like a bully in our our chat. He's like a financial bully, but but he's always been spot on, like with IMX, Luna, etc. And he's always like egging everyone on to buy more. And so there's this new guy that we added to the chat named uh, uh, Jesse. And so I added Jesse into our our crypto group. And then my buddy, he he starts fucking like messaging him, like, when are you buying five hundred thousand? Like buy it now, you know. I know that you have money. Like put in the buy order. You're gonna thank me later. And so Jesse calls me, and he's like, he's like, hey man, like, is this your buddy? Oh, like, is he is is like, what is his incentive to like have me buy all this Habibi coin? So I reach out to O, and I'm like, yo, bro, like, why are you pressuring Jesse? He's like, you think that is like hundred grand is gonna move the market? Like, there's no incentive. I just want him to not be a bitch, so that way when this thing pumps, he doesn't say, I wish I would have bought more. You know, like that's it. That's the incentive of of your friend group. If you really believe in something, you don't want your buddies to get fucking left out, right? It's not a thing of oh yeah, you're gonna fucking really pump yeah, my bags with a hundred grand. Thing, Logan, like, that, I don't want to hear it. Guy has to be willing to see their bag drop fifty percent and be able to handle it and have oh, yeah. their eyes bleed. The problem Absolutely, is 100%. that people that don't really get it, they don't. They're they're gonna be like, 
have like you know several sleepless months while their eyes bleed you know yeah but sometimes you need sometimes you need that bully in your life to tell you you're being a fucking pussy and buy no i agree with that like <laughs> yeah, yeah you need that true. bully to like say hey dude you're 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 what uh, my kids are going to be in private school your kids are going to be in public i'm going to have a lambo <laughs> in the driveway you're going to have a civic i'm going to own multiple properties you're going to be renting you know like and it's yeah. all because i'm buying habibi coin and you're not so at buy the right the part of the market at the right part of the market yeah you can get away with that shit you'll probably, <laughs> you'll probably end up being right Oh, dude, he, he was, well, my buddy O was literally saying that in the chat because like uh, I, I, I had an, uh, you know, I've got my original um, bag of Habibi and then like people are buying more and more and more in our chats. Like everyone's like, oh, I got to get to 250 to 500,000 Habibis. And then, but you know, you know, Logan, who's gets the, sometimes the most wrecked, like you mentioned before, it's the people that were in a previous bear market. And then they're like, oh, fuck crypto. My money went down too much or fuck this. Like, you know. Um, you know, it's all a bunch of scammers and, you know, whatever they go into that, di- like extreme disbelief, depression mm-hmm. phase, and they don't come out of it. And you know, when they come out of it, it's like after BTC breaks high and bro, they come out of it. Like moving. the actual Everything's already five X already, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Classic. That's why it's, it's good. To, I, I could not imagine not having a support group in crypto because there's been so many times where like, you know, you see someone else buying and then you're like, fuck. All right. Like. If he's doing it, I'm going to do it. Right. And, and you just, you, right. <laughs> you need, you need to have some other people in your life. Cause I, I really, I would not be up right now. I would not be, I would still be down hurting if it wasn't for some of my degenerate friends that are like, well, look, man, like worst case scenario is I go on food stamps. Best case scenario <laughs> is now we're eating steaks every night. <laughs> I'll take that risk versus reward. Pretty extreme. <laughs> like, you know, that's funny. Yeah, Bruce went aggressive, like at the right time for sure. It's so, either like, really ramen or wagyu. Bruce picked off like, in between. Yeah, Bruce went picked off like pretty much the bot- the very bottom. Like um, this was like a lot of things really bottomed out. Like, um, yeah, like third third quarter or so of last year. And Bruce is like, I'm getting such and such leverage on Rune and this and that and the other thing. I'm like, holy shit, you're going aggressive here. And, um, and that served him pretty well. What, like, what's Bruce, your, you Bruce, what's your biggest, what's your biggest, uh, yeah. Like your biggest multiple, like what, what coin has <clears throat> performed the best for you in this, uh, this bull market. Me or Seppi? I think you, Bruce, Bruce. You're, you're, you're. Mm, probably Rune was a good one. Uh, yeah, I think I put in, put in like 20 K and came out with about 400. That's pretty good. Um, in pretty short order. Zeph, um, I'm not very good at selling though. Typically, like I've I've been up far more than I sold yeah. <laughs> multiple times, um, including with Zeph. Like I never I never sold a Zeph. Um, I just held it since five dollars. Forgot about it. Probably if I had sold the top, I would have been up a lot, and maybe I could have re-entered or something down low. But I don't know. I just, you, but you never know what's going to happen. You don't know. You never know if it's too- just going to carry on to two hundred, or it's it's very hard to predict. Two parts of it you don't know. It's you don't know number one how high it's going to go, and the second thing you don't know is like mentally where are you going to be when it's time to buy back in. And what will happen is you're like, oh, I'll wait for lower. I'll wait for lower. I'll do this. I'll do that, and that doesn't happen. And then you end up having not nearly as much gain as you think you did. Um, so that can, yeah, trading in and out is not as easy as it looks because there's two points to that. One is when you sell, and there's also when you buy back. Um, so it's like 
yeah, it gets, it's a lot tougher than it looks. So I think like something small cap, it's much safer to just like leave your bag there and wait for the fucking hundred X and not like not fumble and gamble the bag away before that happens. It's just so much simpler, especially like, because like at the small market caps, you're already a leverage bet anyway. Whereas when you have to take leverage on something like Rune, Rune already is a leverage bet on Bitcoin and ETH and whatever. And then on top of that, when you take leverage on top of that, you did really well. Um, so yeah, Bruce made way higher multiples than anything I've done um, this season or whatever, because I don't go do leverage. Um, it's like, for me, it's like larger amounts of money, but my, you know, I'm not looking for necessarily the same level of like risk no. or gain. I probably should do it. Bruce does, but like, like, and the reason is because like I could just basically use a lot less capital, and if it goes to zero, fuck it, right? So that's the other alter- That's the other way to look at it would be, you know, okay, just assume it'll go to zero and use a lot smaller amount and have potentially much higher multiple. So like when he bought, um, and some of the folks that were in Chainlink and whatever, when people bought like you know last quarter, you know pre happening year and everything, and you had like you know, two years of bear market or whatever already. That was um, a time when a lot of people went and took leverage on, say, Ave and whatnot. So Sammy, for example, had got a fuck ton of link at like on leverage on, uh, you know, off of borrowing off of Ave or whatever. And he's still sitting in it and he's just going to ride that thing to Valhalla. And he doesn't have to worry about the like liquidation risk anymore because he's way past that. And he can just ride that position indefinitely. So that's kind of the interesting thing. That's like the bear market strategy where you find relatively inexpensive leverage somewhere. You take it on at the like deepest parts of the bear market if you can, like maybe 18 months into a bear market, and then ride it. And I mean, know, I, took a, the red- I took a little bit of leverage out on my Solana. I bought in at 20. I took a little bit out at 100. And like, so my, my liquidation price is at like $35. And that's where I was like, well, I don't think that it's going to come back down to 35. Maybe worst case scenario, it comes down to 50. And I'm completely okay and comfortable at that range. And I didn't take enough out to where I was like, oh, I can't pay this back. Or like, even if I, if I had to bring down, dude, there's like such a small chance and it's going to drop to 30. Like that, that if we really are in a bull market, which I think it lines up with my thesis, there's no way in fuck we're going back to $30. Maybe we tap 50, but even that's so highly unlikely because you look at the chart, every time it gets to around 80 bucks, there is a fucking buy wall there. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I didn't necessarily know that fully. Um, I thought there might yeah, be a Yeah, you, you know it that. now. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so at the time, I, I was like, well, I'll take out like 15, like $30 is pushing it maybe because maybe it could drop below 50 and then I'd have to pay back some capital. But then once you see, once you, once you're in a position, then you start paying attention to the chart. And like my buddy, Oh, he was, he was, he's bought like that. He's done that trade, like literally five times in a row. When Solana hit a hundred, he'd fucking sell at a hundred and then buy right back at 80 with size and then go back to a hundred and then he'd sell at a hundred and that literally like five times in a fucking row, it happened. And you can a see general, Logan, a general rule of alt says you can almost be certain you will be able to sell at almost any price. And I mean, almost any price, literally. And you'll be able to buy back 20% lower. There's yeah. a very high probability of this if you want to go into that trading realm yeah. and want to do that. Especially yeah, if you mean, get an impulse. If you get an impulse move, the odds are much, much higher, right? Like that you could, you could pick it off. Even if you don't 
get the buyback perfectly. Mm-hmm. If you sold maybe, you know, 20% lower, even 10% lower, and you just increase your bag by 10%, yeah. that makes a material difference. Yeah, like the, the odds of you timing a perfect entry on an alt is like really low. Like maybe one out of 10 times you'll get it. The chances are you're buying and it's going to dip versus it's buying and it's going to pump and it's going to keep pumping. Like it's probably going to hit back to the, if you're buying resort or, um, I, I see what you're saying. It's like there, <laughs> there's a highly likelihood that it'll pump and come back to your original buy price multiple times before it really forms that next leg up if it's a quality project. And again, you know, I think with Solana, like the big impulsive moves typically last like, um, you know, like it's really tough to tell though. Like, look at like, like, so Dece- late December chain link 2020, the thing dumps from like down to like eight bucks or something. It looked like it was going to break out. It didn't. It dumps to eight bucks from 16. Then over the course of how many months? Uh, by May, it topped out at $53 from $7. See how fast that was, but it wasn't like just a few weeks. It took a good solid um, four or five months. So we're in that sort of space where like the next year and a half, there will be three or four months somewhere Then you won't know which three or four months, but everything fucking rages and you're going to be like, oh shit, Mm-hmm. I sold thinking I was going to buy back and now you're chasing some top or some bullshit and everything moves at once too at that point, by the way, mm-hmm. when the whales go and just like pump the entire fucking altcoin market because they feel like they're, they're going to like move their Bitcoin leverage and they're going to just rage. What ends up happening is they've already accumulated everything else long before that. And then they, they sort of wait and then they take all their leverage from their other coins, just pump the shit out of everything and then dump on everybody. This is how this works. And so what, will ha- what the problem is, unless you're that insider that's doing this, you don't actually know when that's going to happen. And that three to six months is like where all of the meat of the move is going to be. And you really don't want to be missing those, that sort of pump. But so that's where, you know, when it's going up, you're like, oh, it's been up three weeks. I'm going to sell now it's a lot harder than it looks to pick that shit right. <laughs> like for sure. Um, but that's why like these, that's why I got obsessed with these Vib extension things, right? Like you, you might wonder like, why do I care about that? And why do I don't care about like moving averages and all the other bullshit? It's because like the Fib extensions have been really, really good in the crypto space for a very long time, especially for BTC and whatnot. So it seems like people use them or maybe that's why they work or whatever it is, you know, but like figuring out what my expectations were for tops are became much more important than timing the top. So notice like I have very little stuff when I play with charts and shit that have anything to do with timing so much, like maybe managing some timing expectation, maybe, but it's almost all about picking the targets and just kind of like expecting them to play out in the way that you think they will or get or pretty close. And I think that's where the magic is. Um, and like link is a great example. It's off cycle from Bitcoin. Like, so at least, you know, like it's first cycle was so second cycle, I think it's likely to happen this year as opposed to next. So this is why I went like crazy and just bought a bunch of link, like as opposed to adding to say Solana or something else, because it, it's chart looked like it hadn't moved yet. So and that, of course, has worked out fine. And and the same is true, by the way, right now for Litecoin or whatever. These things haven't moved yet. And so, like, if I, if, like, let's say Chainlink runs and it goes to, like, I don't know, fuck it, like, in two, three months, it runs to $140. It just goes crazy. 
that I'm fucking out. Like, there's no way I'm going to keep the thing if it goes that much that fast. What am I going to do with it? I'll look over to, you know, Litecoin or something. You know, hey, has this run yet? And I'll go dump it over there. There's no reason to try to get a 20x in something when you can get a 10x in one thing and a 2x in the other and do just as, as well. Um, so that's a much simpler approach. And this is why everything pumps, by the way. When the market starts going up, people are going to say, hey, wait a minute, what hasn't moved yet? And they're going to go run to that thing. Um, and um, that's a simple way to think about this. Like I took like a bunch of different shit that I 2x'd, Dimension or whatever else, I, garbage I bought. And I let them run up, maybe a 2x. I sold those and I bought Zephyr at you know, 12 to 15 bucks or whatever it is. So now that bag is bigger, Zephyr's on the way up. And I was able to rotate gains from something else into something that's a really low market cap. So even if I didn't have that much dimension, I was able to get, you know, free money from it, take that and grab something that's a low market cap that I think is undervalued um, versus like dimension that already has like some ridiculous billion market cap with 10 billion FTV or some nonsense. Like it's just simply silly stuff. Um, and that can go up too. So I kept half of that. But, you know, like lower market cap stuff is where where the gravy is at this point. And so I think like in the proof of workspace, especially like what has the highest multiple possibility in the proof of workspace at this moment, it looks like Zephyr to me. That's why I, I dump whatever other crap that I have some gains in and drop it into that. Not to mention if it goes up, the beauty of it is like it's invisible. <laughs> so use that for whatever it's worth. but. I think it's useful. Um, un, uh, unrelated, what you up to today, man? Hey, man. Uh, just hanging out, getting ready for um, a new job. Just uh, working on music for a gig. But um, just uh, oh, I you, shared this. What do, you, what do you play? I play bass. Um, that's that's what I do for, for work. Um, and I, uh, I got a job working for a cruise. So I'll be leaving for that in a couple of weeks. I got to get about 150 songs ready for that. Um, oh, really? Yes. Yeah, so so you're going to be living on a boat for a few months? Yeah, it's a, it's a five-month contract. Um, five months, yeah. I did one. Uh, I did like a filling gig for a bass player that got fired not too long ago, and that was only for a month. So I kind of got my feet wet and tried it out, but it was really fun. So I'm excited to do like a full job. Cool. Yeah. Like how much, like, what do you do on that boat the whole day? Usually though, like you, you're playing certain sets and then you're just chilling or like, what do they have you do on a boat that whole time? Yeah. So, um, it, it kind of depends on what job you get, like with what, uh, casting agency, the one I'm with is super nice because we're guest entertainers. So we don't have any like crew responsibilities. Like sometimes the musicians have to do like safety patrols or, uh, cleaning duties but we don't have to do any of that so um it's basically just work from like 6 to 6 p.m to like 11 p.m are usually our sets we usually do three or four of like 45 minutes or an hour um but yeah the whole morning if, is you're, fine. if you're working on these boats like do you typically have the opportunity to actually like get off the boat to see some of the destinations while you're going around or what or not really oh yeah for sure um we we work six days a week at nights um so like if there's a port day we can be there from whenever the boat lands to about like 5 p.m is our call time so we got to be back on by then um and if it's an off day like the last off day i had in honolulu was super sweet like we just got to hang out in honolulu for like a day and a half which was really nice yeah yeah 
I was in, I was at like that Waikiki area over the summer. It's pretty nice. Um, like what, which area are you going to be, um, like what cruise line area are you going to be in? Like, um, Caribbean or, um, this one's East coast U S and the Bahamas. So I think the first one is Bahamas and then up to Iceland or something. Oh, okay. So East coast U S goes to, from where like New York to Iceland or Florida. They leave out of like Fort Lauderdale area. Yeah. Oh really? There's like crews that head around like Florida and shit. Okay. I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. I guess yeah, the, the Gulf of but Mexico. They go down to like what from there to Bahamas though, huh? Not, yep. not, yeah. They just not on the U S coast, is it? Because the U S coast would seem kind of boring to me. I would think. Yeah, no, they, they do tropical. So they leave from Florida and like, sometimes they'll stop up in like uh Canada, like up on the East coast. But other than that, yeah, it's, it's mostly like Bahama, Iceland, stuff like that. Yeah. Nice. Sounds like fun. Um, uh, other than that, yeah, I'm just charting. Um, I just posted. Bruce, this how many how many boating days have you had in the last year? <laughs> it's funny. None. But um, None. how how many uh, performances do you need to do a day or a week? I'm related. I'm curious. It's six days a week, and it's it's typically three night uh, three sets a night. So it'll be like ten to twelve songs, about forty five minutes of music, um, three times a night. And this one's all classic rock. Like this is a Rolling Stone kind of uh, themed band. So we're doing like, bring up the set list. We got like the Rolling Stones. We got like Pat Benatar, all that kind of like seventies and eighties rock stuff. It's a lot of fun. And I'm I'm only twenty five, so this is honestly the first time I'm really listening to a lot of this music. Like that, my parents and grandparents grew up. Are there with. are there real, are there rules against like fraternizing with the chicks on the boat or what? So yeah, the the big no no <laughs> is um is fraternizing with guests. You're really not supposed to like interact with them intimately at all. And I mean like you're you're really not supposed to like go to their cabins or like eat dinner with them really. Right. Um, right. But the crew the crew is free game. So like all the Indonesian girls that work in the kitchen, they're all very sweet. They're very nice. Mm-hmm. You can talk to them if they speak English. But yeah, it's, you're really not supposed to like get involved with guests. All the lady boys down below. Yeah, all the Tia trainees. They're, it's true. I mean, oh, and all the places. Going on? And no, not not really. I I haven't I haven't run into a whole lot of that. Um, no, but it, it is true that on the cruise lines, it's it's mainly like Southeast Asian, Thai, Filipinos, um, these kind of people. Yeah, yeah uh, for sure. Very, very like exclusively that. Um, almost no other. Almost no other like. Um, countries in fact the ones i've been on anyway yeah they do a lot of recruiting from uh indonesia and the philippines at least for um holland america which is the one i work for but and i think it's, it's probably it, more like the western folks they're more on the like entertainment side of things probably huh yeah and managerial like. yeah somewhat it's like the, the 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 captain and his like officers typically very western and then you have the dancers and the stage people who are often very Western as well. Um, and then you have like typically like a mix of entertainment stuff, like whatever you're doing unrelated. And then below that, in terms of the actual service, like the the chefs, the cleaners, everyone, that's pretty much all um, Southeast Asian. Yeah. All the officers are Dutch, honestly. Um, maybe that's just Holland America because it's like a Dutch company, but yeah, they get them all from the Netherlands. Hmm. Do they like, uh, usually when you're on these things is like, 
food part of the way they pay you or do you pay separately for that? All the um all the dining facilities that the guests can use, we can use too. So like we have guest privileges. So like all the the buffets are free. Um we get discounts on alcohol, which is nice. Um and then there's like some like each these I mean these boats are massive. They're bigger than any fucking boat I've ever seen. So like they have like ten restaurants on them. And there are some like premium dining dining establishments. Like there's steakhouses and sushi restaurants. You can pay for those. But I'm just trying to stack bread while I'm out there. So I mean mm. free. What's the um What's the accommodation like for staff? Is it pretty cramped or do you get your own room? Like, what do you have? For the crew, it sucks. It's like uh, they, they're they in um two to a room and it's bunk beds. So there's that. And then probably I want to say like 20 square feet of space and a, a small bathroom with like a little stall shower and a toilet. Um, Does that include but you? We get, a, we, we get one of those rooms, but it's to ourselves. So like I'll, I'll have a single room, um, which is plenty of space for me. Like I just, I just need enough to nice. stand up and turn around and there's a gym on the boat so I can go there and move around. It's a pretty sweet gig. Honestly, I'm, I'm trying to now, do it for you've, a few years. You've done this. So you've done this before already, huh? Yeah, I did it for a month. It was just like a small fill in gig. Um, and that was really stressful. Cause like I didn't get any rehearsals with the band. I just had to jump in like, I, I took like three flights to get there. And then as soon as I got on the boat, it was like, unpack your shit and you go up in an hour. So like have all the stuff ready. Um, like, do you have any like interesting stories, like interesting shit that's happened or you've seen or whatever, like <laughs> having done this? Um, trying to think. I mean, I've heard of people jumping off of the boat. Apparently before I got there, like two months before one of the drummers from the other band, like got caught with drugs in his bag or something or like they knew that he was going to have his room searched and he like literally abandoned ship and they were they were in port but it was a tender port so like a tender port is like the the port isn't big enough for the cruise ship at some of these islands so you have to anchor like a couple miles offshore or something and then ferries will come and like get guests to bring them to the island so he jumped off of the tender port and tried to swim to the island to like get away and I, I mean, clear, horrible decision. Like, clearly he was on drugs or something because I don't know where you think you're going to get to, even if you made it yeah, to On the fucking open ocean. <laughs> yeah, but they had to rescue him. Um, and I don't know, he probably got arrested just for jumping off of mm. the boat and shit. You've got to be um, a retard as well because the, the checks when you come on are just really poor. Like, you can pretty much bring anything on if you wanted to. Oh, yeah. As <laughs> like, long as it's not made of metal, you can get anything on. So, like, to to fumble it so badly is really just embarrassing. No, it's true. Like you literally just put a bag of Coke in your pocket and they will never give you shit for it. So yeah, he was an idiot. Um, but it's crazy to me. Like it, it, uh, it, it, re- it made me realize like no matter what level you get to you, there's always jaded people and you can always get jaded yourself. Like these people have the best jobs in the world. Literally. Like I, I won't, I won't lie. Like the job that I have is one of the best jobs in the world and it pays pretty decently but it's not even about the pay so like the people that screw it up by like getting on stage drunk or getting in fights with guests or like fraternizing with guests or whatever to get themselves fired i'm just like how could you fuck this up like how could you mess this up for yourself you already did whatever work or what you you got lucky enough to get here just like don't screw it up now it's easy so it's crazy i was wondering what like being like the cruise doc would be like you know like because <laughs> there's not that much going on on a boat usually 
and you know like it's it'd be very easy work and you just roam the world doing that it'd be very funny yeah it's it's such a small workload like the the only the only days where it's like a lot of work for us is rehearsals because that's like 10 or 12 hour days like just trying to get all the music ready but even that it's like you mm. can go play music with your buds for a little bit and then you have a drink like, and then I'm, I'm also guessing you have days off when you're in port or whatever what's at least quiet days yeah yeah i mean even even days that i work like if you have your shit together if you know the music and you're not freaking out on stage like you can just autopilot through it most of the time like if you just have fun with it, it it's not work you know so I, I, it, it's always crazy to me. I mean, the the bass player that um got fired, that I replaced on this last one that I did, he got fired because he was he. The one thing that you really can't do, like we have so much leniency, and the one rule that you can't really break is you have to be on time for things. Because if you're late to get back on the boat, then you make the whole boat late, and then that fucks up everything in the travel schedule, all the porting and stuff. So you really can't screw that up. And the one day. He, I guess, like got high and fell asleep on the beach in Hawaii, and the boat like couldn't leave because he's a guest <laughs> entertainer. They can't leave him behind on an island with no contact. So they, he woke up like to a bunch of missed calls and went back on. And yeah, that's he, the one thing going on a cruise. Like as a passenger, I felt like always was a little bit sort of maybe anxiety provoking. Is that you know you get off on these ports of call, you roam around and whatever. And check out wherever you're going. And especially if you're getting in like a car, like I remember in Jamaica, get in this car and they take you to like this waterfall thing. And that's kind of like the the hot spot there. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I'm thinking, hmm, like what if I can't find a car to bring me back? Or what if there's traffic? Or who the fuck knows? So you, you end up having to have like this really, really wide um, like time gap that you have to put in to make sure you can get back on time. Right. And it always is. It always felt a little bit anxiety provoking each port of call because there's always a lot of interesting shit to do and see and whatever. And um, and you know you've got to like get. You know, it depends on how far away you go from the boat. It's it can make it hard to get back. Mm. Yeah, and people do sometimes. Island. Sometimes people do get back late and it like fucks the whole boat up. Yeah, just do what I do, Sethi. Um, is just stay on the boat. Just stay on the boat. Connect to Twitter Spaces. Uh, and just enjoy roving, roaming around, never get off. It's a big know, enough the, boat where you can do that and have fun. The ports are the ports are pretty nice, though. There's nice places. Like, um, where was I one time? Grand Cayman. It's pretty nice over there. Um, I think we like went jet skiing or some shit or some snorkeling or something. That's also the thing. Like, yeah, if you're doing like these various swimming expeditions and whatever, um yeah they're, they're more time consuming but some places have like really good infrastructure where it's like they know exactly how to get you from your boat to the thing back to the thing back to the boat because they do it all the time um but um i think like in europe to me like the, i want to do the mediterranean one um where you can roam around italy and all that shit but like i'm gonna always feel like you know, like there's not enough time off the boat probably <laughs> like bruce did you, on the on the the italian ones do they give you like a day or two at the port or is it only a day? Do you remember? I don't know. I've not done an Italian one. Um, but it, the it varies. It varies. They're often with cruises, you have um, one day typically and then a few stops, you'd have two days for a longer thing. Usually there's there's like one good location. Um, or if you're doing something like with significant days at sea, then typically it might stay 
at the destination for two, three days. That's pretty common as well. Did you like like the Norwegian like, fjords and all those things a lot? Yeah, yeah, it was all nice. Um, yeah, all of it was nice. I, I definitely like cruise ships. A lot of fun. Yeah, some people don't like, I guess, the, 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 I don't know, what is it like the, people think of it like a Disney world. It's like there's an artificiality to it, but I think it's nice because it's like you've, you've got your, you don't have to deal with hotels and rental cars and fucking luggage and nothing. And you just kind of roam about, sleep when you want, wake up when you want. Mm. Um, you I, know, had, go, I go had ideas. I had a lot um, of ideas about what it would be like, and it wasn't like that. Um, what, I, I would, what was your what was your concern it was going to be like, and then what was your like? I, I was um, I was concerned it was going to be super busy all of the time with with like wherever you walk, there's kids screaming and families everywhere, and and shit happening all the time. In reality, the boats are so fucking big that there's always quiet places. Like if you do need to work or if you do want some quiet or whatever, um, there's just infinite space. So that's one thing. And you can also yeah, have there, there's a remember. lot of space. Like I know we like you just hanging out on the different uh, not balconies, but, you know, there's like these areas with railing or whatever. And they have like seats and what all like we spent hours just hanging out in some of those places and reading and whatever. Um, and you don't feel that bothered by anybody, really. Yeah. So like I, I when I did it, I always had enough time to to like work and enough quiet. And there's even like libraries and things on these ships. Like there's loads of space everywhere. Um, and you can always find quiet rooms and places to work or whatever. So that was like a big misconception I had um, from sort of like previously imagining it would be a super busy, hectic thing where I couldn't get away from the noise to realizing it's just basically like a big, a huge hotel with like everything <laughs> with all the quiet corners and stuff. Um, I, had, so that, I had the same I had the same impression. I, I was actually quite pleasantly surprised that the the waiting times and whatever I thought would be ridiculous, like for food and everything. I thought it'd be like going to Disney world or something, no. but it turned out to be not quite like that at all. It's like, it felt like the wait times for things were even maybe less than regular restaurants and whatnot. Yeah. Did they, yeah. they whip these Islanders into shape? The people that are serving, like there is zero tolerance for these people to like be slow or screw things up. I mean, it, it kind of, it, it, it's, it's a bit of a, splash of cold water compared to like if you go to like you know fast food joints or something in the west like people that just don't give a fuck about their work or like what they're doing but like these people take their jobs very seriously and like the head chefs are very very well paid like they're like you know they're they're the real deal so they they train these people to do it right and yeah, food is food is generally quite good Gen like i haven't i don't remember having a bad yeah i mean yeah. it depends which which one you go on there are definitely classes um, but generally it's really good. Yeah. I mean, and, and the sense and, that like, yeah. I didn't feel like, Oh, this, this, what I'm eating here is just basically shit. Like, you know, like I felt like everything was very much at the base level, um, at least as good as most mainland food, if not better. Um, mm. and then generally. typically most, most ships have a, like you can have a fine dining experience, like some really good restaurant. If you pay something like 20, $20 more ahead. Um, where usually that kind of restaurant might charge, I don't know, uh, at least a couple hundred dollars each per head on land. Um, oh, that's yeah. pretty cool. Sure. Like fine steak yeah, restaurants yeah. or whatever. That's that's, that's for sure. Because those type of restaurants usually be like, yeah, two, three hundred for a family or whatever. Um, and you can get a much better deal on the boat. Yeah. But yeah, it, I, overall, really nice. Um, the only thing that's consistently annoyed me was the internet. Um, just like it, it heavily depends on the ships. 
on some of the ships. They've now got like proper Starlink internet with really fast speeds and stuff. Um, on other ones, it's just like super slow. But um, but yeah, the, the main thing is just like the cost of the internet. Um, if you were to pay something, I don't know, if you were to pay around $2,000 for a cruise for a week or two, um, it's fairly typical to pay about $600 for the internet as like an additional charge. Really? And it might not be something like that. Yeah. Like 20, so 20, I, 25 a day around. Cause those. I paid for like, I paid for one, one of us, I think myself to have internet because I had like just some business, you know, spreadsheets and things to take care of and whatever. Um, and, but I didn't need very high throughput cause you know, I wasn't doing anything really, you know, I'm not sitting there watching movies on the thing or whatever. Um, but I didn't, I don't remember how much it was. Like maybe 25 bucks a day or something. Maybe. I'm not sure when the last cruise you took was, Sefi, but like the big lines have that figured out now. Like I, I got super fast Starlink for twenty bucks a week. Yeah. Oh um, wow. That might be that's not bad. Might be staff though or something. Um in Europe at least and and most places it's like twenty I think it's something around like twenty dollars a day, twenty, twenty five dollars a day. I'm sure they overcharge the guests for sure. I mean yeah. they have to make their money back because like they almost break even with ticket prices and then they have to make profit through like alcohol and internet and, yeah. and stuff like that. I think what they do is they, they work out like to sell the room as cheap as they can. That's like the main thing. And then they know when anyone comes on board, they're going to spend fuckload. And obviously people in the modern world are going to need the internet. Like there's no, there's no way they won't do it. Um, so they make up all their money on like that stuff and drinks and everything else. It seems like drinks is like the big value. And then some people like go take pictures and shit and they, 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 they family pictures and whatnot that you pay for a bunch of money. Drinks and casino. That those are the big two. Oh, there's, I didn't realize those casino, uh, or maybe I didn't notice. Yeah. Slot machines, uh, blackjack, stuff like that, that, that makes them a ton of money. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. I didn't notice cause I don't really gamble on, on these things. I don't really, I just like the, yeah. I mean, to, to me, it's just like hanging out in the balcony, no one there to bother you. Um, you're sort of like disconnected from regular world too. So it's almost better in some ways not to have too much internet and shit. Cause then it's like, you're not getting phone calls and whatever, <laughs> you know, like, like, cause when you, when you drop off at the islands and whatnot, you will get phone con, you know, capabilities again anyway. So in some ways it's good to just be disconnected for a while and read or something. Um, it's fun. That's cool. So you're going to be like out for like five months, huh? Yeah, it's like it's uh, two weeks of a rehearsal process in the States and then we'll leave for, I think it's like four and a half months on sea. So yeah, five months total, which is great to do now because I don't have anything tying me down. Like I don't have, you know, my wife and kids or anything. So I want, I want to do it now when I don't have obligations. Yeah, so you think this is kind of like a short term thing and then you're going to do something else afterwards or what? I think so. I think it would be great to do for like three to four years because I don't have a housing payment. I'm about to not have a car payment because I'm going to sell my car to my parents um, or just give it to them and let them take over the payments. So like I don't have to pay for anything. I don't have to buy anything. So like I'm just this next year, I'm just going to buy the coins that I like and save cash. And then probably when I get back after three or four years, put a down payment on a house and just like start trying to buy up land whenever it gets cheap. So you want to, you want to build a house some, at some point, get some land and do that. 
I think so. I think I'll probably end up renting somewhere very cheap while I build a house. Um, or, you know, not build it myself, but have some say yeah, yeah. in how it gets built and have people build it for me. That's that's what I really want. Interesting. Yep. Um, building's gotten definitely more expensive. So maybe you'll get a good deal. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping housing goes down in the next five years and I can capitalize on it. That's kind of the plan. Yeah, I guess it definitely could. Um not really sure about that though. Hard it's to hard say. to say. Like it it seems like it's just gonna go up forever. It kind of seems just like one of those ever inflating assets and it, it's hard to get an entry on it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um one thing one trick is like wait, are you trying to go live in kind of like more of like outside the city, like county land or what? Like, what are you trying to do? Probably, uh, yeah, kind of like what my parents did, which is like 30 minutes outside of a city, like in a suburb. Like we live around farms right now. Because usually if you're out like in a county land instead of within a city space, you might have to put in like a little bit of, um, what do you call it, septic system type infrastructure but you don't have to pay nearly as much taxes and land comes like dirt cheap in America. Like people from around the world be like, what in the fuck you're right. paying this for what? Like, yeah, it's really, really inexpensive to live in the U S if you know what you're doing. Um, the one place a lot I of really people like was North Carolina. A lot of people, a lot of people overpay for living. Um, oh yeah. yeah South, Carolina, South Carolina might be fine. Yeah. Yeah, like the Carolinas have some, I mean, there's so much land up there. And that's, it seems like that's going to be one of the next big markets for housing because I worked there um, as a truck driver for a little bit and just constant construction projects up in the mountains and stuff. Like there's a ton of people putting houses in North Carolina right now. Yeah, like Tennessee, like Memphis area took off big time the last five years. Um, some of it's too, it's like where you have less taxes. So if you pick the states with no tax, sales state taxes, that makes a difference as well. For sure. Because there's some places you work, you're paying like, I've got to pay some state taxes and then other states I don't. It depends. Like sometimes I go work around. That's why um, it, uh, like, I know the difference between how the different ones charge and stuff. Don't even get me started on taxes, dude. My, my Monero maxi ass. I hate taxes so much. I hate everything <laughs> about it. Yeah. Dump all your, you're going to dump all your stuff into privacy stuff. Like, oh my God. Uh, wait, not going to take it from me. Now the cruise line pays you like, what in in check to a u.s bank or like how does that work or it's like you... a prepaid card that they give us so they'll put money on the card and then we can transfer it to our bank oh really that's interesting so it's like uh your entire salary or income is going on this card thing correct and i have it set up to where it just sends a certain amount to my bank account every you know however often every week okay so you're just paying paying tax on it normally then can I ask a question about that? So how, how do the taxes work? Because obviously when you're on a boat and they're paying you, do they pay you as a U.S. entity? or Because obviously maritime law, there's, there's no laws. So if you're on the ocean and you're being paid technically via maritime law, I guess, do, do you not get away with it or do you have to pay via U.S. taxes? It's a great question. Um, I haven't gotten my tax return yet or uh, my, my uh, 1099 or whatever they send me, if they're going to, because it's still early. and um, Last year in December was the the first time I worked for a cruise. I've heard somebody said to me that like you don't get charged taxes when you're out there because of what you were saying. Like it's it's technically well, yeah. not 
a state it's like when, that you're when in. You work on, when you work on oil rigs, you don't get taxed for working on the oil rigs. Uh, I mean, maybe if you're doing like admin onshore yeah. or something like that. It, it depends, though, Chugs, like where your um, tax home is. So like if you live in Tennessee, for example, where they don't have a state tax or I think Florida or whatever, then, um, then you won't have to pay any. But if you're a U.S. citizen, you're making money abroad you pretty much end up having to pay unless you do some kind of dual citizenship or something. Like there's a guy, um, what's his name? Um, he was in the Terra community. One of the, um, damn it. I can't remember his name right now anyway, but he was living in Puerto Rico because, um, he was a surgeon and he was like flying back and forth to the U S doing kind of like, you know, intermittent work. And, but he would get his income in Puerto Rico and apparently like that's income taxes. There is not, there is no income tax. And, but you have to stay in Puerto Rico for a certain period of time. Like you got to be there like a couple of years minimum or there's some rule. And then once you're a definite resident there, you don't have any taxes, something like that. Yeah. There's a, there's a rule about, I think it's like nine, nine months. You have to be um, not on us soil. And then you get taxed you a, a decreased amount. So the U.S. still wants their taxes from U.S. citizens, regardless of if, if you're working overseas or anywhere else. So you still have taxes unless you are there for X amount of time. And then there's a reduced tax rate. Yeah, I'm not really yeah, sure. My- it seems late for them to be sending me a 1099 now. Maybe I'll still get it. But if it's the case where I'm not paying u.s taxes i'm gonna have to i i don't know i'll, I'll retool my plan because i'll be able to make so much money if i'm not paying taxes on, on an unrelated note bruce have you unblocked me yet because uh you know you just told everyone you blocked me on on uh <laughs> under their advisement <laughs> mm, not yet i'm gonna keep no. you blocked. i think i just don't okay. feel safe yeah, that, that's fair enough that's fair enough to me the Few most more important thing online is safety and i don't feel too safe around you Okay, no hugs for you anymore, then that's fine. A few more weeks will be perfect. Maybe four. Sorry, though, unrelated, please. Continue with the uh, the ferry business, because I'm actually I'm intrigued about it. Like, it's not something I'd ever go into, but hearing about it, it's it's quite an interesting, uh, narr- not narrative, but perspective. Yeah, I, I don't know. If, if you're a musician, I definitely think it's the best way to get paid as an entertainer. Um, because n- nothing else has such consistent uh, pay. Like I, I make money, you know, every single week. I don't have to schedule my own gigs or like rely on somebody else to schedule gigs for me. Like it's definitely the best way to get paid as a as a musician. Um, and kind of once you're in the door, like it's very expensive for them to get entertainers uh, documented for stuff because it's like a thousand dollar medical exam you have to go through that lasts a couple years. Um, for registration and then like all the flights that get them out there so like once once you're kind of in the door with these companies they want to keep you on board because you know it's less money that they have to lose but yeah def- definitely recommend if uh, if you know anybody that's like trying to make it as a musician recommend them to get into cruises i guess you get a lot of practice time in too i suppose huh oh playing, yeah playing, can... playing in front of people and stuff so if you want to go do something else later exactly i mean it's it's really just building my chops up so much and also my learning chops because like i have to learn 150 songs and they gave me the set list a week ago so it's like three weeks i have to learn them 
So it's just forcing me to like get a ton of repertoire in my head and get a lot of my ears in my hands. Really Holy good. shit, 100, 150, you have to like learn in that time period. And yeah, you got to learn and memorize them. And that's not even like the most like, so, like the blues club has to do like 250, 300 songs. <laughs> no, no, no wonder they're paying you so well. Holy shit. That's, that's a, it still seems difficult. I mean, I had a hard time memorizing any music, but uh, that sounds tough. Is it like, does it come second nature to you? Or like, I guess it has to. I mean, there's no, almost no way you do it in a couple of weeks otherwise, right? You just get used to it. I mean, like you, you build, uh, you kind of build systems for memorizing stuff. Like I'm very like, uh, like hand shape based. Like I can, I can remember like, you know, chord progressions um, a lot better now that I've been doing it. I've been playing for like 12 years and I didn't know how to read music for a very long time. Like until I got into college and had to learn in order to uh, really? play in the bands. You were, pl- you were playing by ear. Yeah. I just, or I just what? listened like, to everything and, and replicated it. Um, like and all the stuff I grew up with, I was I was growing up. Some listening people are to really. Life. Some people are just like, yeah, just definitely born to do that. Uh, it's a different skill. You can it. train yourself to do it. It's just like you know, what do you want to put your time into? And that's all I did when I was a kid. Like I would just I'd come home and play bass and then play video games. Those are the two things that I really did. So I did it a lot. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of music. Uh, the the blues club has to learn about three hundred songs and it doesn't really ever change. Like it's all classic hits. So like once you know the material, you can just keep gigging on that for as long as you want or as long as they'll have you, which is nice. Like what, what kinds of income can one make doing this? Like, what are we talking about? Like uh, what range? It, it, um, entry level is probably like they, they pay by the month usually. So like they'll, uh, for just a single instrumentalist that doesn't sing is typically like 2,500 a month entry level. Um, if you're a singer dancer in a big production show, you might be making upwards of like 4,500 a month. Um, I know the, I mean, you know, you can probably guess around what I'm making, like based on what I say, I know the singers and guitar players in my band make about 5,000 a month, which is like 1250 a week ish. Um, I don't, I don't have to sing, which is nice. Having to memorize like music and lyrics and and, and this amount, there. like they're not, they're not reporting what they feed you, and your your like the fact that you have a room on the boat and whatever. They're not adding that to your taxable income, then. No, right. right? That's all included. That's just like free lodging yeah, and it's just, and food, it's just yeah. like you're just hanging out there, yeah, because like. So that's not being counted as income at all. So it's like if, right. an, if another person was making like, I don't know, 80K at a job and, and you know, they, they had to have expenses for living and eating and everything else. Maybe they're, you know, spending 40, 50K. That's what uh, I'm saying. So your, your take home essentially is scot-free except for maybe federal taxes. But even that isn't that much because, uh, because like, at that income level, your taxes are really, really low anyway. And then you don't have any state taxes either. So it works out actually, yeah, pretty well in your favor, I guess. That's pretty cool. When I was doing expat work, I found the most you would make was from when they were paying for all your food and all of that other room and board. Because all your money is just going into your bank account. You don't have to do anything with it. So... And, and you're working constantly and there's not a lot to do. So you're not really spending money. Yeah. I'll be doing some remote work um, next month. 
and it's going to be out of state. And basically, that's what they do is they'll they'll they cover your hotel room, and technically, you can like turn in reimbursement for a certain amount of food and stuff, uh, all of that. So yeah, you can definitely um, yeah, it comes out pretty well because you just don't have any expenses really. Your flights are covered, all that stuff's covered. Uh, Ali, what's up? Vintage, you there? I'm here. I'm here. Ah, there you go. What, 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 what are you up to? Can you hear me okay? <laughs> Can't tell. Yeah, I can hear you. My mic is disturbing. Network yeah, your mic's not so good. Yeah, it's very hard to hear you. You got kind of quite a bit of noise in the background. But um, so, uh, Alt, are you are you uh, enjoying? I, I was noticing you're enjoying the the Luna Classic people and their banter. I thought that was kind of funny. Oh my god. <laughs> And the classic people are driving me crazy. <laughs> they're no, I, I, I they're can't imagine. <laughs> I can't even imagine like why you even bother to interact much with them. It's just kind of funny. Well, I spent like two years, you know, trying to help out with stuff and doing stuff with like Luna Classic Academy and <laughs> a bunch of that shit. So I've seen the oh, so you, so you, so you, can't, you got in. You got in <laughs> deep with that. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, because I got in, I got in kind of early as, as the knife was falling on Luna, I started to kind of buy during the death spiral. And then I almost, I almost aped in at the very, 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 very bottom and just missed it by a little ways. And then, and then it all got Bruce taken pretty away much, from me. I think and, Bruce is the one that got in at the exact bottom. Of Luna yeah, Classic. He he killed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It and was then, like the precise bottom. He's like, dude, I'm gonna go buy a bunch of Luna Classic. I'm like, you're gonna do fucking what? He's like, Yeah, like, you know, the supply is fixed now and they turn off the mint burn mechanism, blah blah blah. And nobody knows what's going on. I'm like, okay, fine, go for it. And so I should have got some exactly when he did, but whatever. What are you gonna do? Right. So I bought mine on Voyager because I was using Bitrix at the time. And Bitrix price was like exponentially off, and so I'm like, "Well, I'll just move." You got you got a Voyager and it got <laughs> stuck there. Or what? Stuff into Voyager and oh, then it, it just got wrecked. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, just to join the club. Yep. Yeah, it's funny. Funny if it wasn't so stupid, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. So I've I've spent more time just you know talking talking to people and learning a bunch of stuff throughout the the crypto space and that's made that will exponentially make me more gains than than what some of these people are just getting stuck in so it's funny i mean in short thanks for letting me come and speak sevi i'm right there with uh with alt x um i mean everyone aped in near the bottom i think just hoping for a a quick pump and then we've all have gotten ever deeper into an absolute shit show and it's just it's i mean i've i've never seen like I, i've never uh, seen like a, as interesting of a group of like twitter weirdos i don't with the like new lunk community i don't know where they came from and what their deal is but it's just it's a strange and you know what they're like realistically it represents probably like a tiny sort of like number of owners of the coin and stuff so it's like 
you know, you never should go based on like, you know, Twitter. the rumblings of a few, you know, retards on Twitter. But the thing is like, but man, the, the weirdos that are there are really fucking weird. That's the funny thing. They're <laughs> They're really really like, loud. I don't know anything about Lunk. They're so loud. I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, you look at different communities or different spaces in the cosmos, outside of the cosmos. And I mean, there's like normal people and you have your, you have your normies, you have your intellects, you have your, your cosmos degens and, you know, your innovators. And in Lunk, it just, it's, it's just the degens and the weirdos. And I don't understand it. I, the I'm, I'm going to correct you there. Dude, there is no such thing as a normal person in crypto. There is well, no yeah, such thing. Yeah. Which, which, well, makes, no, which speaks long. to the volume of how bad the Lunk community is. If there's no such thing as normal, and even <laughs> not normal people are going, like what a negative the fuck? <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like, it, it, it's, it's, it's a conglomeration of like everyone who doesn't have a fucking clue about crypto, but well, has insane opinions about it. Or just economics. Yeah, it's, it's economics. Yeah, dude, it's nuts. I don't, let, I don't understand. Let me it. tell you what's going on right now that'll make you laugh, right? So everyone started attacking Bruce. Or they, they said something about bad actors or something like that. So I, I just did like a long chain of adding people I know that would get flamed. And I know they'd get flamed because they always get flamed. And Sefi, you know you're on that list. So, <laughs> And these are people that I considered intelligent and like were good for the chain, right? And every time I do it, the same bad pricks that just don't have an intelligent like brain cell. The, the only Always difference is, Jugs, the only difference that like no one really messes with me is because the, the, the only reason is because they have this sense that like well, you're you know, if I well. start if I start fighting things, that means that hellfire is gonna rain down. And that's probably <laughs> not a good thing. So they just leave they just leave it alone. Like <laughs> I know. can't. I, I, I said something. I don't really still stir the hornet's nest either too much. I just kind of... Well, I said something earlier, like to you know, fucking rabbi chick. I don't know her name, but like whatever. She claims she's a doctor as well, and it's a case of she sits there posting pictures of her in like a really expensive car and all that sort of thing. But she's done with the people. I'm saying that no, no, you're not. But like that's that's not the problem here. I've got no problem against wealth. It's when she turns around and says Bruce manipulates the market with his like people. And I just turned around and went, every time you tweet to the fucking hundreds of thousands of people, you're manipulating the market by putting ideas in their head. And I went, how are you not getting that you're a hypocrite by getting pissed off? <laughs> like it's, it's just as simple as that. Dude, dude Ross is a nutcase. She is an she's, absolute psychopath. She's I hope she's a psychiatrist. She's, she's a, a perfect example. She's a doctor you know? locums. She, she does like that's yeah, it. Locums. Yeah. yeah. But have you have you like, watched she, her YouTube video of like? Mate, <laughs> her, the only her, time her, I get involved, shit, it's so funny. It's the so only bad. time I get involved with Lunk is to piss some people off, backtrack, and just go, okay, I'm done, and just let them like burn themselves out. Uh, or uh, if I see Bruce is doing a narrative, I'll jump in for shits and gigs. That's it. That's that. <laughs> I, feel like, I mean, I feel like the Lunk community is like, if you have, if you're to put t- take a Venn diagram of all the people that didn't read the Bitcoin white paper, and then you were to take that, and then you like, you know, like put another circle on the Venn diagram that's like you know, max retard. It's like right in that batch right there. It's just really weird. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you want to like look at one data point that sums up where Lunk is at currently, and for anyone who doesn't know me, I've been, you know, I degened in really close to the bottom, have been pouring my heart and soul into getting this thing going again, like a retard. I guess I'm in that retard camp. Um, but the one thing you need to look at is the validator set. I mean, you got this dude 
Jesus is Lord that pumps out that he sees visions from God to push his narrative. And he is, what is he? Let me look. He's the top five that's, validator. He's in the man, top. That's almost, that's almost uh, like plus EV I, though. Like, all I'm going to say is, <laughs> Sefi. That actually might be positive compared to a lot of the other stuff going on. Seth, out of curiosity, and I think you know what I'm going to say, is it what I think is? And you know what I'm going to say to it, but like I'm not going to say it out loud because obviously then it gives it away. But is it what I think is? Like Wait, you know what? what what is what I think what is? So she's asking if Drew's playing a joke on the community. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sort of oh. thing he would do, and he's so good at it that I think oh, okay. that's the one. Did you click on Chega? Did you click on Coach's link of? Oh, I'm Aut- autism website. Uh, no, the um, YouTube link of Jesus. Singing. No, 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 I've missed it. Like, I because I, I try and stay off of Twitter unless I see Sethi's on, or unless I just want to, like, I guess it should cause some problems in some sort of like Twitter, Twitter community, like Triad, Triad or Triaz and uh lunk are the only two coins i actually go after for shits and gigs because their communities are just fucking <laughs> that's all i can say dude go watch his go watch his music videos please dm it to me please uh i'm currently in the garden doing some landscaping hence why like, i'm only chiming in every now and again you can, say, you can say a lot of things about bruce but what he is not is blasphemous that's for sure <laughs> like, doesn't it depend on what it, it depends on what hat he's wearing, to be fair, and what narrative he's trying to spin. <laughs> no, even, even then, even then, for sure, it's uh, he's blasphemy is definitely not within his wheelhouse, for sure. I just knowing Bruce for long enough, <laughs> like, I'm pretty certain about that. But anyway, yeah, that's it's it is kind of funny though. Um, yeah, like I mean, it's it's fine if there's like some fun characters that do just completely wacky ass mimetic shit. That's cool. That's not where the my gripe is really it's just when like you do these weird like proposals and different things that have no basis in reality as far as like running some kind of block blockchain system it just makes me bearish it made me more bearish the more i saw this play out over the last few years it made me more and more bearish about the ability to do blockchain governance in any meaningful way like i think several people that in the cosmos ecosystem have become somewhat like jaded with that process um certainly myself included <laughs> so blockchain governance stuff is just a bunch of it's just a circus essentially of like the problem is like just because you, let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars and or a million dollars whatever and you can buy some coins and you can vote does that mean that just because you're wealthy in one area does you have any idea what you're voting for or like proposing a blockchain space like like what the fuck do most of us know about our smartphone like if I was going to tell the Apple engineers, hey, by the way, like, you know, your software is not perfect or whatever. I mean, I suppose, you know, you could point out some things you might like to change, but like voting on, you know, I don't know, like code changes on your phone or whatever. I mean, get out of here. Like you pay Apple so they can build you a phone. And the trouble with blockchains is that like the so-called community, it only makes sense if they're like really technically proficient. And and a lot of folks like, you know, some of those proposals and different things have to do with like legalities and they have to do with things like um like decentralization issues they have stuff to do with like the token economics and what have you and what i've seen on these different chains is that like a lot of people don't know the fuck they're talking about when it comes to the token economics and whatnot so now you have just the blind leading the blind 
and people voting for shit that they think in their head is the right thing for whatever reason. And on top of that, you get a whole bunch of like misaligned interests. So for example, like if you were to point out on Luna Classic is a good example, like all nodes or whatever has way too much power. I'm, I'm sure, I'm assuming they still do, but they have way too much centralized power. And when you say something about it, it's like, oh no, it'll be fine. And it's like, well, if that's your take, then why have a blockchain at all? Like you can spin up a Cosmos chain with five validators and be done with it. Like there's no need for like pseudo decentralization talk and all this other nonsense. Um, in which case you have much more control over your chain. Like, like if you want a centralized system and you control everything, that's easy to build. Um, the hard part is getting decentralized. And like, I find that the Luna Classic community has like just no clue what the point of blockchains actually are. Well, I, I don't say about that everybody. I'm just saying like the batch that we tend to talk about, it's like, wait, like, what do you think you're trying to achieve by, you know, making developers like dox themselves or whatever? Like, like what, what, what are you talking? What are you doing exactly? It doesn't Can make any confirm. sense. Can confirm. It's, it's, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's like all the people that aped in seem to be the same people that heard about crypto the previous day. And they have no idea about the, e the ethos or the, the industry as a whole and like what they're trying to achieve and how they're trying to, you know, continuously move away from TradFi type systems, you know. And it just seems as time progresses, we're just... You got these, for lack of a better term, these like boomer mentality individuals that are just trying to implement more and more and more TradFi systems to just make the entire blockchain a Frankenstein conjumbled mess. And I mean, that's playing out. And like you said, I mean, I'm still validating for the chain, but I don't know if there's any any of those lunk unhinged people in the space right now. But I mean, I have definitely turned more bearish as, as time progresses. Um, you know, and I'm not and saying it, that just about the one chain. There's another thing too, that's happening is that like, you know how it is, like it doesn't take, but like an hour or whatever to spin up a cosmos chain. If you know what you're doing. And the, and one of the things I'm concerned about is um, it like any chain that hasn't, really put forth it's like you know like there's not enough people showing up to build really really great tools and infrastructure um the problem is is there's so many layer ones out there and many of them are vc funded and whatnot um you have some that are not particularly very vc funded like kujira and, and their chain looks beautiful all their products look really good people want to use them and then you have others like um injective or whatever same story of like you know it's kind of a funded chain on the other hand, those things can pump and go to infinity, but like next season, are they going to do as well? I don't know about that. Because the thing is like next season, there'll be another shiny new object. And that shiny new object will be like at a market cap of, you know, 50 mil or whatever. And all the newbies are going to go and, or at least the old, old school people are going to go and buy the, the latest, greatest thing that's going to have the best pumpamentals. And so each, each cycle that goes along, it feels like each previous layer one becomes kind of a dino coin. And if you're like firing on all cylinders, you are doing amazing world-changing shit. Like take a chain link, for example. And this season they have like 10 times more shit than they do last season. Then, okay, there's a basis for like a giga pump of some kind, you know, like a second Ethereum run or whatever. But every other layer one is like, are they going to break their prior highs and whatnot? You know, because they've come up with, you know, a lot of new things to attract users. Um, or at least, you know what I have respect for? I have respect for meme coins that do a great job. Like I didn't before, but like, you know, Doge and Shiba taught me otherwise. 
that if you have an amazing ability to attract attention and hype, all right, fine, that's your thing. That's cool, right? Like to me, fine, make your thing something. And when Bruce and I first like looked at Luna Classic at the very bottom of the crash, because obviously we had, you know, some of our Luna coins on Classic because we were in Luna before the crash, right? So when we when we kind of first saw the crash, the potential we saw would be like, holy fuck, this would be the most like absolute best narrative for like you know, a meme situation. And like, you could make really something interesting happen out of Luna Classic. And that's why he kind of aped into it and whatever. And I felt like that was the ideal goal. And then what happened is, I don't know why, I don't know where all the new people came from, but, in, and they had really, really good, like mimetic energy, like a whole bunch of new users came on and they were kind of like, you know, I don't know, tons of new people. Space has had like three, four or 500 people in them during Luna Classics kind of like initial pump um, after it crashed, you know, after the terror crash. And I thought like Bruce had the right idea. Like you make some fucked up meme thing going on here. Maybe have some funny NFTs or some shit, you know, and it, it's like a phoenix rising from the ashes kind of a story. And, you know, there's a story to tell here and there's a lot of wrecked people that could really have a lot of fun you know, bringing the thing back in line. But then people started talking about utility. I'm like, uh Oh, now we know we're fucked because like, if you want to compete on utility, I mean like, God damn, there's a lot of projects and builders that are going to blow you away on utility. Like you're going to find what some Delphi sponsored things, or you're going to find like, you know, Binance Labs sponsored projects and how are you going to beat them exactly? Especially when you know that Cosmos chains are interoperable and whatever you have to have like that deep narrative. And that, that's what Luna classic I thought was sort of missing. Um, and you know, it made me a lot more nervous, um, when they started going the route of like utility, like, you know, mimetic, I get it fine. Run with it. Utility. I was like, fuck this. I'm out. Like, I'm not even going to bother messing with this. Cause I know it's not going to like, I know enough about the utility space that it's really, really hard to get attention on it. And then you, and your ability to execute on it has to be truly amazing. And, um, I wasn't seeing that, um, play out. Like, I don't know, Altex, did you see, like, what, what's your sense on it um, in terms of, like, not so much the, the crowd dynamics, but, like, just the, the like, distinguishing features well, of the from, chain or whatever? From the whole, like, beginning, it was so much fun right up in the, in the very early age. Like, <clears throat> when TR started and, uh, you know, we were all in that, tele or in that Discord server just joking around and turning Bikram into a meme. And like everyone was having fun, like it it had good energy, and then the energy started to switch, and it wasn't yeah, so much because exactly. of, it was that it, it was that early sort of like vibes and early energy and like, but kind it, of like, but it wasn't it wasn't so much that it was the striving for utility that killed it. What started to happen was people were posturing to try to have control of the chain. And seeing it as a way for them to make millions and millions of dollars, you know, just trying to run the chain. And then you started to get all these people fighting and you started to get people trying to do research on other people. Like, who the fuck researches some other person in crypto? Like, what do you like? If, <laughs> yeah, you, exactly. if you have to go out and look into some, who someone is, like, what, what are you doing? What is the point of your life? <laughs> this is why like you know a lot of um layer ones post bitcoin post ethereum um you know ended up being 
like really little small political factions and you know you have to have a group of validators and a group of people that start off a brand new chain who share the same vision for what they're trying to achieve what happened with luna classic was there was sort of this like mimetically fueled pump of luna classic right after it came out with no obvious like endpoint the thing like exceeded i think a billion market cap or did it go to two i don't remember like it, it pumped a lot off the bottom and what happened is a bunch of people showed up and then what everyone saw is dollar signs because they thought that that market cap was sustainable like you know oh if we use this much community pool we can pay for that or we can if you know you pay me this this and this for doing this much work then whatever but what people don't realize is that like when you start using those funds the liquidity for these things is fairly low and what ends up happening is that the price of the coin will dump on top of everything else so there's not as much money as you really think there is is in in these market caps and and it becomes very very dangerous very quickly when you have a bunch of people who are greedy because if you think about it like a billion dollar market cap coin maybe has a hundred million dollars of actual cash in it exactly. if you try to exit right well, so and then so, on top yeah. of that on top of that you get you get all nodes who's got a ton of voting power so they're at one point they were making like fifty thousand dollars a month in in validator rewards and on top of that amount they have the vaas service the validator as a service and so all these other validators there's like 10 of them that are all paying all nodes so all nodes is making the, some ungodly amount and you know they're just dumping that on on users they're not holding the coins so your price is just getting depleted by these valid by the validator i can't even talk today the validator set yeah it's like every single possible problem that could go wrong is going wrong with luna classic and there's only like a select few like clan's pretty knowledgeable and gets it uh moon rabbit group they all get it and they're all fighting for it, but they're all bad actors, which if you look at the co-signer in my name, that's, I put that there because they put me on some bad actors co-signer list. So it's now in my name as a, a homage to the idiots of Luna Classic. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> like You're about the bad actors list. What does that even mean in the crypto context? It's really like silly shit, basically. Very funny. <laughs> Um, I guess he lost his connection. Uh, anyway, can you hear me okay, Alt? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Okay, I just wasn't sure if, my, if it was like me or what. But anyway, yeah, very funny stuff. I, I don't know what to make of it. And, you know, like this season, I think the the way I'm looking at things is like, okay, where can I, what can I buy at size? You know, to me, that was kind of chain link would, could be bought at size, even though it's not the absolute highest multiple or whatever. Like, I can be pretty sure that my money's probably safe and the project has like lots of narrative and actual stuff being done. And then like in the the Cosmos chain section, I was like, huh, like which ones am I going to pick? So I, I actually made a little bit of money here and there trading a few things like I, you know, had some Akash, I bought and sold that, Injective, Neutron. Um, so I... I you know, ran like the meat of the move on a lot of these coins and just kind of let them run and sold them. And then um, like Kajira seemed to be like the sweet spot 
where you had a lot of diamond-handed people because these are mostly all ex-Terra people because they got airdrops on their um, Kajira tokens from way back, and they also got maybe some Kajira um, airdrop for being a like Terra V2 sort of like wallet, and all of those folks got various airdrops, and so you got like this sort of diamond-handed community, and then on top of that, you had like it's a permissioned chain with with um, um, and it's not open source, so that's the downside of it. But at the same time, like it's one of the more we saw how this team behaved during the worst possible crisis you could have had in crypto if you were a developer. Um, and their tech worked through the entire crash. Number one, that was really important. And two, like their UI UX is always the best, um, especially when they're on you know old Terra, and they have like a team that is for as far as we can tell, one of the more high integrity groups in crypto. So I was like, all right. And then Bruce and I felt the same way. And so I had an airdrop. I added some more money to it. And I'm like, okay, this one looks like one that is worth a team worth supporting, even if it goes to zero in the sense that like, it's a group of people you feel like your money should back. You know, if you're going to be a bit of an activist um, investor, that was sort of like my activist, you know, Cosmos play and it's not to say that there aren't other chains or whatever that aren't going to do great. I'm sure plenty of them will do fine. Um, Cosmos is like definitely um, getting a lot more mind share this season. And um, and then, of course, like Zephyr for me um, is kind of like the ideologic play. And, you know, I like the sort of black box stablecoin effect. And you can't get that same effect with almost anything else, especially something with no previous baggage you know, like a Haven or whatever. And I like the fact that the team is anon, like, and, and the fact that it's proof of work, like I can't imagine a decentralized stablecoin solution of some kind that doesn't have an anonymous team after like, we know that centralized teams like Doquan or whoever are attack vectors. And you definitely don't want something that you can shut it down. So you don't want to validate a network. So you want to have proof of work. And so really to me, it's like, um, Zeph was like, in a way, an investment in sort of like my knowledge base about what I know about algorithmic stablecoins and their risks, and uh, and and the fact that like a lot of previous systems either were missing on-chain collateral or were missing over collateralization, and probably shouldn't be algorithmic. And those <laughs> there's a bunch of boxes you check. And you go, okay, it seems like they thought about all this. I'm going to gamble on this one, and that's where Zeph came in as like kind of the very high multiple. Uh, low cap risky gamble. Whereas like if my Zeph bag, you know, does a hundred X or whatever, it's going to be worth more um, than almost everything else I have that I bought this last year because of the multiples are so high. But at the same time, it's not like I can take my life savings and drop it into it. Right. It's not like that. You have to, you have the, to stay small with smaller market cap things. The thing with Zephyr. So I was talking in discord to people back in probably August ish time frame and we were trying to resolve the USTC issue right we we're trying to figure out solutions on how to fix it and all these other things and then you saw all the governance happening with with Luna Classic and I was just like you can't do this with a proof of stake coin because the majority of people that are aping into these things and thinking they're you know part of governance and all this other stuff they're on the wrong side of the IQ bell curve so correct. You know, they're they're going to make correct. all these policies and other things that just don't 
make it viable. So I was saying, you know, it, it has to be proof of work. And we were talking about, I was talking about. And proof of work uh, also in the sense that you need an on-chain verifiable collateral. Exactly. Like you, and, can't, you can't have like your proof of stake um, funny money that you printed out of thin air be the actual on-chain collateral because like um, it's just not secure enough. Exactly. And when you look at anything finance, finance works the same way like the flow of water works, right? So take like a semi-truck carrying carrying water. If If you stop really fast, the water all sloshes to one side or the other. That was essentially the, the design of Luna Classic or Luna and UST. So they stopped that by putting these different baffles in, which is what kind of Duquan was attempting to do right when it failed. So, you know, we're lo- looking at some of these different things and, you know, the way they've done the three coin setup at Zeph looks great. But, you know, we were talking about all these things and had I, had I known about Zeph at that time, I would have aped in right immediately just because it has all the, it has all the, tricky. it has all the boxes ticked off. Pretty exactly. Much. So, I mean, I and even, by- even the anonymous, even the anonymous team, some people are like, oh, you know, what happens if the team does this, team does that? I'm like, no, you, if this thing works, you sure as fuck don't want the team to be like um, yep. available to, so, you don't want this to be a tornado cash situation or, a, whatever right yep exactly and i mean i started buying in at the top and averaging my investment all the way down but then also was working on building a mining rig for it so you know i'm i've mined like in two months like 20 coins so i'm pretty well into it at this point but it it either works or it doesn't (laughs) yeah and these are all like these are clearly like infinity versus zero type plays infinity meaning like not literally infinity but like really high upside but you you allocate what you can afford to lose because like you know there's always attack vectors and things that um that you're not fully aware of in terms of uh, not so much with like a death spiral risk but what if there was some oracle risk that was presented that we don't know about yet because like the oracle system's not decentralized enough so there's still some work to be done so the way that any asset works is when it's at its most riskiest, it's at its cheapest always. And the possibility is something can go to zero or just simply not catch any attention and you waste your money because of either opportunity cost or loss of funds or something like that. And then by the time something is proven to be stable, then you have a tendency to have more people sort of ape into it. And this is what happened kind of with Luna, actually, like in uh, early 2021. Um, some of some people weren't there for that DPEG, but there was a DPEG of UST back in 2021. And Luna went from like, I don't know, 25 ish dollars to like five bucks, it dumped pretty hard. And I had a little bit at the time. Um, like, I think I bought it at like 16. And maybe and it dumped to like five. And I bought most of my Luna at five bucks. And what was at that point, the bottom. And what happened was, is like a lot of risks got exposed. And one of those risks was that a lot of the people were taking leveraged loans off their Luna. And when you, when you borrow off of your Luna, what happened on Anchor Protocol was you, the exact time that you're about to be liquidated and you're trying to like go to maybe top up your collateral or maybe 
you know, sell something to go deleverage your position, the chain would slow down dramatically. And so you couldn't actually manage your shit. So after that, TFL did a lot more infrastructure to increase peak speed and capacity of the servers and everything, uh, the relayers and whatever. But at the time, like that was a lesson I learned. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't want to be on too much leverage because like this fucking thing is not stable when things are crashing. The other thing that happened at that same time was when Luna price crashed, you had a bit of sell-off of UST simultaneously um, as people were probably like converting back to Luna or whatever to pay off their loans and stuff. And I think the DPEG was like 93 cents or something. And the peg healed because there was not much UST on outside exchanges. So you can you can stabilize a stable dollar within the ecosystem but what you can't do is you can't stabilize it outside the ecosystem it doesn't matter if it's an algorithmic stable coin it doesn't matter if it is if it depegs on binance then you know someone's got to go buy that cheap um ust and they've got to go and you know burn luna for it or whatever and do the arb mechanism and so external arb was really important and some of the different folks like jump capital and whoever the fuck else were doing the arb externally and what i realized is that like uh, and then, and then the the last like intuition, you know. So decentralized uh, stablecoins need decentralized remittances. Meaning, if Binance was going to call UST a stablecoin, if KuCoin is going to call it a stablecoin, what they should do is they should offer one to one remittances, a dollar for dollar for Tether or Circle or whatever, and all stablecoins they should guarantee it. So they become the central bank. And they become the guarantor, just like Tether or Circle would. Otherwise, they shouldn't actually list stablecoins that they're, they're supposed stablecoins because, because they're not. And what you're doing then is you're false advertising to the buyer of that coin, correct? Like, imagine if you showed up at, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, Home Depot and you buy a lawnmower and it doesn't cut grass. It'd be like false advertising, right? Like, or maybe it, it cuts grass for a week and then it dies. So then you, you have to have the ability to return it or whatever. So the same thing is true of stable coins. When, they, when, you, when you batch algorithmics and other types into the regular basket of stables, and you know, it's known that they won't be perfectly stable, then you're going to cause panic when they're, they, they go off peg. So when I first bought Luna that first time, it was actually off peg UST. And I'm like, ooh, this is interesting, but I'm going to buy up the blood here. I think it'll repeg and whatever. And it did because uh, there wasn't that much off-chain UST at the time. And the on-chain system works great as far as restoring peg, no problem. So it did that. And um, pretty much at that point, like that was when a lot of people came into it because they felt like, hey, the peg mechanism had been pretty aggressively tested, it healed, and therefore it'll be fine. But then like as time went on, a lot more UST got printed via like the number of people that wanted to use it for uh, like stable yield on anchor protocol and whatever. And when um, FTX Alameda basically attacked the system, um, like which is what happened, uh, then and then there was that curve pull incident at you know all at one time. Then basically um, at that point, you wound up with um, uh, like that crash and everything. And uh, right before that, Do Kwan was trying to create that LFG Foundation, the, the Luna Foundation Guard, or let's fucking go. It's like kind of like a play on the L, you know. You know, looking for a group or let's fucking go meme. And he created that. And that was like to buy up a bunch of Bitcoin. Um, and what they did was they sold OTC Luna from the community, not the community pool, but the TFL's own treasury, 
which was a lot of Luna, by the way. It's like 50% of the fucking Luna was theirs, which is, again, red. that was probably the biggest red flag. You can't have your coin be both governance and be the fucking treasury token of your organization that you're going to sell. Like, and then on top of that, be like the, you know, the collateral or whatever it is. So just too many functions of the coin. Um, and, you know, you can't have the core coin be a governance token also. It, it had too many utilities in some ways. And so you like, that's, so that was a thing. And then the LFG thing didn't work exactly because like, yeah, you can project strength by saying, hey, we have X amount of, you know, $10 billion of Bitcoin or however much they had at the time. And what they did was they sold OTC their Luna, and I believe the people that bought it paid in Bitcoin, and that Bitcoin was put in the reserve. And then the OTC Luna was held in like they had to; it was vesting. It's like those people could not sell it immediately on the open market, otherwise you dump the Luna price, right? So they created this reserve, but the problem was it was like a, a five-person multi-sig. It was like Doe, and I don't remember who the fuck else was on it. I think it was like maybe Remy was on it from. Uh, real vision or whatever and uh, they had four or five people on this on this uh, multi-sig and um, the multi-sig problem is that like let's say the peg something depegs and you're going to go and you're going to sell btc um which incidentally can drop the altcoin market when you do that which means that luna itself will drop when the btc drops when you sell the bitcoin to protect the peg which means that you're having a counterproductive effect but simultaneously, it's an off-chain collateral. And this is where Zeph comes in. Because the BTC is not within the same ecosystem, that means someone has to manually go and sell BTC, some market maker. You have to have a trusted entity now manage your peg. And it misses the entire point of DeFi if you have trusted entities have to do this. And in theory, like you would have multiple LFG foundations in the future if that was going to work. And you'd have essentially what amounts to like a central banking system to handle that. The problem with all that is that it was too little too late. And um, what was the, the core fundamental problem that you realize there is, wait a minute, if the BTC was like, let's say Luna and Bitcoin were all one system and Bitcoin was actually on chain within that chain and you had a store of value that everyone believed was a store of value, like in that in that um, context, then you might be okay. Um, and even then, you, you almost have to over-collateralize for the volatility. And then you can basically be sure that when BTC drops from 70, 70K to 15K or whatever, that you would have sufficient collateral in the form of the BTC, and it's on-chain. So when it's off-chain, the fact that it was trusted caused problems because people said, oh, Do Kwan's a scammer. He stole all the Bitcoin. He didn't use it to defend the peg or whatever else, right? Like these kinds of a accusations show up. The moment something bad happens, now the trusted entity becomes an attack vector for like, you know, where people get upset about whatever, right? Like, you know, like let's, let's blame these five people because they're the ones that didn't restore the peg or something like that. Uh, whether or not it was even possible um, to do so, those people would get blamed. And that's the thing. So centralized teams and um, off-chain collaterals are not really collateral in the typical sense. And this is why like something like Chainlink CCIP makes a huge difference. It's because if you have like on-chain gold and gold is basically been tokenized and by a reputable gold vendor, they have issued that into the CCIP ecosystem and they could keep track of it, they could be sure that your gold is te theoretically like your your collateral is true and it's real and that you could remit this 
you know, for gold in different places. And that means it's an actual collateral. So this yeah, is the thing. Like... The, pro the problem with off-chain collateral is you still have to have a trusted entity like an auditor to make sure you have gold actually in a vault somewhere. This is why off-chain collateral sucks. And if you look at what like some of these other things have done, like DAI, they didn't feel good enough about like decentralized cryptos. So what they did was DAI is like largely based, you know, in like Circle or Tether or some shit. And the problem is with that is that that's it's not censorship resistant. So why in the world would you want DAI? Maybe it's a little bit less more censorship resistant than, say, for example, a Tether. But like, but systemically, it's at risk if Tether was to be put at risk or Circle was it put at risk. So therefore, like, you're adding an additional risk while reducing your censorship risk if you have DAI. So the thing is, like, all of these things have issues. The thing about um, what we're doing with Zephyr, though, is if you look at Zephyr, Zephyr with ZSD, the thing is, it's not a smart contract platform. So if you had a complaint about it, it would be like, maybe it that like, you know, RandomX doesn't actually have a smart contract platform built in, but it has privacy built in. Like, but what would have been even better theoretically would be like an ETH style smart contract platform built from scratch with privacy. Because if you have smart contracts, then you can do the any kind of lending, borrowing, and some other things. So Zephyr's adoption is going to be purely limited by the 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 speculative like multiples that essentially Monero would otherwise have. Because basically Zephyr is Monero in a nutshell. Um, and then like you know, is there some flywheel effect from the stablecoin and the internal use as a trading instrument? Sure. It's delusional for anybody in the Zephyr community to think that like ZSD is going to be like heavily adopted. Like it is really, really tough, tough to get anything adopted in crypto. And you're talking about like a decade in the making or whatever. Look at Tether or something like that as an example. And um, it takes quite a long time to get some kind of mass adoption. And it's unlikely with some kind of niche product or something like, you know, like a privacy thing where it takes a lot of time to do transactions on ring signatures. So I think like to me, the ZSD, I'm not worried about it. To me, it's like, it's like I think of this as Monero with a splash of stablecoin as opposed to our stablecoin is going to be accepted all over the world like Master and Visa card or some shit. Like it's just not rational. And that's how I sort of overall see this. But anyway, learned a lot from like Luna, UST and all the different components behind why things didn't go well, I would say. Did you take any other lessons from any of it, Alt, from your experience with Lunk or anything else? Well, I was in looking at how they did the collateral uh, or the BTC from uh, LFG. It's it almost seems like either that needs to be kept in the vault, not just sold off back to market. Because if you're using that as your backing and you're selling your backing, then then you're compounding your problem. Or it had to have been like a remittance type coin where, you know, they come into the treasury and convert yeah. their... Yeah, you would you'd be able to convert your your dollar to Bitcoin anytime. Right. And yep. and done at some like reduced rate because of the deep Correct. or something. Some, yes. Take some kind of a fee, right? A discount. Yep. That was that was the consideration. And that was something that was being considered at the time, but it just hadn't been built yet. Um, and even if they did, the problem alt is that like Bitcoin by itself has no smart contract platform. So guess what? Now you have to have yet another system 
to actually run that because otherwise you're going to like do it what manually, right? So this is the, this is the other problem. You'd need another infra to solve that. Um, and th that's the unfortunate problem of Bitcoin. I wish it was like something that you could, um, you know, it had a smart contract language. It does not. This is why ETH maxis are like, you know, you know, say that Bitcoin has its problems and it's not going to be all the world's money because it's not a sufficient computing system. And that's where like Zephyr comes in is that it is on-chain collateral with on-chain remittance. And that there ends the story. And that's the only really way to do it, I think. Because it like, or or you have another thing, like maybe you use Ethereum as collateral, not BTC. And maybe, uh, yeah, that might've worked. Like maybe ETH is collateral, but people didn't have enough confidence in ETH because like the proof of stake system that they just built at the time was not battle tested. And simultaneously, um, what was the other problem? Oh, like, yeah, I mean, nobody knew what would happen to validator centralization. And it is quite centralized Ethereum. So then the problem becomes like, what happens if, you know, something happened to that? Now the stablecoin system you built also gets wrecked. That, you know, that, that's the concern. Um, but anyway, yeah, there's like, it's very hard to get a credibly decentralized uh, system put in place. The other thing that looked... When I was doing some on-chain um, with Luna, it looked like when they converted some of that Luna to Bitcoin, when they did the OTC, um, it looked like the people that bought it, uh, maybe it was Grayscale or someone, um, it looked like they dumped it about six days after they bought it. So that didn't help anything. Mm, I wasn't aware of that. It's that. actually kind of funny because if you go back into their Twitter, six days before they talk about how they just put on their books like some crazy amount of Luna. And then not but six days later, it was like right during the DPEG and during the crash. And I'm not sure if that's the same as the people in the foundation, was it? Or somebody else? It, it was a different entity. They... So the foundation sold Luna to this other entity that put it on their books. And it was like the exchange for oh. when they did the OTC for Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. And then it looked like they dumped it like almost immediately. <laughs> like it, it was, there were so many things that were just. I thought so it might have. I thought it was like maybe, you know, maybe in a smart contract or something with vesting. But I, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not sure how they did Often. that. Those deals. But it, yeah, it. I mean, you you go back into the Twitter for that for the company that put it on their books, and it wasn't but like six days later that they that it was dumped. And this is, I think, so, this is the lesson for people in terms of like why you know whether or not you think BTC is a good investment or whatever in terms of price action. The the this is what it's meant to be trustless. Whereas the BTC system doesn't require really sort of like you to trust any particular counterparty. And the problem is, is that humans as counterparties are extremely flawed and like governance based systems, as you saw with Luna Classic and some of the shenanigans or any of the other L1 blockchains that have their, you know, drama, like political drama doesn't necessarily result in more security for the chain 
nor does it automatically, maybe it's less security possibly, and it doesn't necessarily in, imply automatically that your number go up either. So like either as an investor or as someone who's just trying to store value in something, um, governance basically is a constant source of possible FUD. And it's also a possible source of like some kind of catastrophic failure based, based on human decisions. So yeah, very, very interesting problems. That, that's why like when I saw that Zephyr was both, uh, had the mixture of privacy and it had anonymity, I thought it was really important that the, the system eventually run without having anyone touch it anymore. And uh, now the downside to this is you like, because it's not uh, an open ledger, you can't tell exactly how centralized the mining is. You can't tell. You can you know there's mining pools, but you don't know how many people, you know how much how many people own how much of the the mining um, like capacity, and you have no idea to know whether they have the ability to perform a chain attack or not. So that's sort of the flip side to this. And I don't know. It's I'm not too worried about it in the sense that like. Um, it's a there's a lot more people that jump onto new coins to mine them this minute they show up because there's these mining pools that are out there and everyone hears about them and jumps on so you notice how high zephyr's hash rate is so i'm hopeful that it's officially decentralized do i know this for sure i have no idea so like if you're to talk about risks um if like oh, how much money should i put in this coin or whatever um that's a risk um and um you know, without sufficient battle testing over a period of time, you won't know. The other thing about the risk is, you know, even if someone could like, you know, rug pull you or double spend you or something, they're not liable to do that um, right now, right? They're going to do it when the price of the coin is much higher, when they feel like, you know, the effort was worth it. So let's say you're a bad actor, in other words. So th this is not the time where you're likely to see that happen. That's why like low, low, my, low cap, gems as they're called in crypto um yeah they can have gigantic multiples but also like literally going to zero type risk that you're simply not aware of in terms of price action and that might not even be like the chain suffering some way it could just be like the chain is alive but the value of the coin is not <laughs> not alive let's say a double spend happens so what does a double spend look like if you were to double spend just manufacture you know zef tokens or something or you know, or like you had more than one version of the the, the Zef token, or what have you, because you're able to co-opt a network, then you can go sell, and no one realizes that you have two of the same token or whatever. And um, the 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 uh, exchanges don't know this, so that you could basically drain all liquidity and exit, and then you know people don't even realize what exactly happened. So yeah, and and not only that, but like when it comes to early proof of work tokens, a lot of people will mine that early on for very, very like low price, very low difficulty. And that can represent sell pressure at some point in the future and, um, you know, cause your token price to dump, obviously. Um, and then like, there's also the team tokens. So I think 500,000 of the so far 3 million tokens were sort of like in the team pre-mine. Now that's a well-known thing. And the team has no really obvious reason to sort of dump on people necessarily, but you don't know for sure, like when they're going to sell and when they're going to do what. So the plus side of this is that, like, if team sells or something, um, or maybe there's some centralization. The interesting thing is nobody else knows for sure. 
that's the funny thing. Like, you know, like just because you have a lot of hashing power, um, I guess if you're the one with all the hashing power, you would know that you had it, but no one else would. Um, <laughs> but at the team side of things, if team were to be selling some tokens for market making or something else, you wouldn't know either. So the interesting thing about having an anonymous central team is that um, they don't represent a lot of sources of FUD, right? Because like governance FUD is just frustrating as well to people. and um, like not having to have any videos about FUD is really kind of nice. <laughs> so there's that. Um, so yeah. When, I, you're, when yeah. you're talking about double spins, don't you think it would be, don't you think CASPA would be harder to see a double spend or harder to catch with the way their ledger works? Ooh, I don't know. Than, I'm not sure why there's like something special about their ledger. Block. Well, yeah, they do some weird like multiple, uh, like a tree of ledger kind of thing. It's it's weird. There's like, it's not like block by block where everything's just kind of in line. They have mm. some weird, which is supposed to, it's what speeds up their network, right? And what allows them to, um, to scale. So they, their finality happens a little bit later. Yeah, it's not instantaneous. Yeah, I guess that gap between finality could be a place where, um, if someone had enough double spend power, they could sort of execute something very quickly. I suppose I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, yeah, I don't. But I don't really. Still, I don't know enough about the technical. You'd still have to have 51 percent of the hash power to create any type of an attack, right? Because mm. essentially, yeah. you have to you have to scale up an entire mining center to where you can catch up to all the blocks right and then insert your own i can't remember how it works you like insert once you have 51 percent, you insert your own code and it the consensus layer grabs your code rather than the old code yeah and that's how the attack vector happens something like that yeah there's a list somewhere of chains and whatnot that have had 51 percent attacks um Trying to see if like there's actually XBG Verge had I think three fifty one percent attacks, and it seemed like every single one of them happened right before a bull market. <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin SV, Verge, Ethereum Classic were several that are described. CoinDesk has a little article about it in May twenty twenty three. Um, yeah, I've been like I've never owned or paid attention to any of those coins, so it's kind of irrelevant to me, but interesting. So the there is a possibility. It's not it's not zero. So there's that for folks to keep in mind always with these things. So yeah, with with like high multiple gains comes high risk that you may not be aware of, which is why like you have to be careful about seeing stars. You're like, oh my god, I'm going to be a billionaire. I'm going to buy a million dollars worth of Zeph, and it's going to go to a billion dollar. The problem with thinking like that is that like you if you just simply multiply the possible gains and you look at how much you ought to spend and you're, Oh, I want to make a billion. That's where I'm going to put a million dollars in or whatever. The problem with thinking like that is that you can over allocate quite quickly based on like pure greed and what you think something might be. And, um, <laughs> you, you really ought not to do that. I think. Yeah. You should never assume that you're going to become a, a millionaire and a billionaire just so quickly. It takes work to get, to get there on all of these different things. So, you know, researching your coins and even when you research, you might still get caught up in some bullshit. 
Yeah, the odds, I don't really know that I've come to the conclusion, I think it's the correct one, that do your own research doesn't work. Like, because there's only so much you can research. And a lot of that attack vectors and villains, you won't be able to see until after the fact. So like, I don't know, some of the research is like, what has happened to other chains and that kind of thing. And when you talk about market comparables, most people just don't have enough technical knowledge about the crypto space to really be digging deep into that and or have not lived through the calamities so they don't realize like what could go wrong but even like like last time when we were talking about luna 2021 or so we were talking about luna a lot and we would talk about risk vectors like centralization and what happens if something happens to doquan your bag's going to go to fucking zero because like it's going to dump it'd be like a steve jobs death you know, like you're going to have a dump big time if something happens to someone, um, those kinds of things. And, or like TFL having so much Luna was definitely on my red flag list. Um, and it turned out that my red flag actually turned out to be true because like the thing that actually led to the beginning of the end was when TFL started selling their Luna for, um, for like paying for, you know, services, you know, like paying programmers and coders, whatever it is. And that was sort of a signal because if they started selling, guess what? Galaxy Digital sold the top at 100. Um, some other hedge funds exited. And when you have all of like, so once you signal that you're selling, then the other smart money is like, well, fuck, well, we're selling too. And everyone else is like, oh, okay, that's bullish distribution or whatever, you know, but not necessarily, especially when Luna's the, the coin that like, you know, collateralizes your UST that's outstanding and whatnot. So, yeah, like some of those things that seem like red flags and we've discussed them in spaces during that time, like people completely forget that you had those conversations about risks, right? Like, the, oh, you shield such and such or you shield, shield Zephyr or whatever. We'll have like hours long conversations about the risks. But the problem is the risk conversations get buried somewhere and nobody wants you to sort of like keep tweeting about risks over and over and over again either. In fact, even if you did, it doesn't matter because no one's going to retweet risk-based um, like, you know, conversations either fun. way anything, yeah anything nobody retweets fun. Fun. No, if, if there's one thing that gets retweeted the least like well one is if you tweet about some coin at the very bottom of its price it gets tweeted almost the least of anything um and the reason is because like when the coin price is down people are pissed and so that they, they, or they don't have money to buy or whatever the case may be they're just like like nobody actually engages with um coins at the bottom of their price ranges in retrospect, like you don't know where the bottom actually is at the time, but like in retrospect, you're like, oh, that was the least engagement I was getting for this coin. And that's almost how you know it's the bottom. Low volume, low engagement, buy, essentially is my rule now. And um, but the other one is if you FUD anything about a coin, um, you know, no one's gonna like, you know, no one wants you to say something bad about their bag because it could go down in value or something, right? So stop butting our bags. Yeah, but Seth, um, you told me this yeah. was a risk-free purchase. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going to go buy that. Like, you know, if anything goes wrong, you, I you told you you're going to be a, a billionaire risk-free. Isn't that what I said? Do you know what? Would you really want to be a billionaire? Think about how boring would life be being that rich? Like, you just... You'd, no, fuck that. No, Unless I'm a secret billionaire and I'm purposely not spending money. No, fuck that. I'd rather be... Well off enough to still work when I want to work, just to keep I myself. Think it depends if you make a lot of money, but you worked hard for it. Um, you know, like it becomes sort of like it doesn't really define you. If you suddenly win it all in like a lottery, like let's say for example, um, you make a bunch of money like in crypto, 
and you go out and buy a Lambo or something and you show it on your, you know, Twitter or, you know, YouTube or whatever, that sort of, that sort of crowd, like, mm, their mind is not mentally prepared for money, generally speaking. Like, oh, yeah. like they're just not. I've always said this, right? I make enough money. If I'm going to buy a luxury car, it'll be a Mustang. And it's not going to be a brand new Mustang. It's going to be a secondhand Mustang, jet black, 2018. Uh, nice little uh, uh, Mac, uh, Mac E. No, not the Mac E because Mac E is electric. Just the you know, nice 2018 Mac. Good to get it done up. Done. Boom. Don't ever need another car. The, the, like the most expensive car I have bothered to buy um, was the Porsche that I just bought this, this last summer. That was the most expensive car I've ever bought, you know, purchased. And that was like 140 something. Um, and, and this is someone who's been like, I don't need like crypto or stock gains to buy fancy cars, by the way, I could buy anything, any moment I could walk into any dealer and buy fucking anything I wanted right now. You like with no worries whatsoever, but I don't, I just don't like, like waste too much money. Things. I just don't care about it. as much. It would be if you want that. What's that? If you haven't run it by your wife, she'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't tell my wife I bought my Porsche. Like, I just walked in and like, I'm going to buy that. I'm like, hey, honey, come check this out. I'm going to take you in the ride in this convertible. <laughs> like, you know, it's kind of one of those things. But no, I didn't like, no, it's not that. It's like, we can buy whatever we want. The thing is, um, um, like, she can buy whatever she wants. She makes more money than uh, most people. So she can basically go and walk in to get whatever she wants. She doesn't buy a bunch of shit either. Like, her car is like maybe a 20, hers is like 2014 or something already. <laughs> like, so, like, we don't really buy too much shit. Um, uh necessarily um but the thing is like I, I think yeah if you come in like if you're saying is a billion dollars boring it depends i mean like you know is this is does money change who you are and if the answer is yes it changes you a lot because you, like like i still work like i don't have a like i'm not working today but like i have work tomorrow and i, I still work like i i figured i'd work till maybe i'm you know 70 or i'm dead and stay active um and that's sort of my mindset Cause what the fuck are you going to do? Like, even if you had a bunch of money, what are you going to like just roam on boats or something? All like, what are you going to do exactly? All that shit gets boring after a while. Literally what yeah, the luxury has just become, you know, the, you, if you know it, you can do it at any point and you know, you're going to do it at any point and it just becomes a, all right, well, I might as well just stay in bed and do nothing because that's not something I normally yeah. do. If, if like a good example would be like, if you live on the beach all the time, um, which I did for a bit, like for a couple of years, I had a, like when I was, you know, I was like, uh, you know, on the edge of the ocean and stuff. And it wasn't the greatest beach, but at the same time, it was like, eh, it's, it's water. Um, did I go spend a lot of time at the beach? Not really. So like, yeah, I, I spend more time at the beach if I go there for a vacation than I do if I live next to it. So there, there is a little bit of that. Yeah. Like, um, kind of acclimation effect you get. One thing is for sure is like, people have noticed this, um, like psychologically is if you 10 X your money, your euphoria will last a while and it will dissipate fairly quickly. Uh, you get acclimated to that. But if you lose, instead of 10 X your money, if you like drop your value of what you own by like 90%, it's way more painful and the effect is more long lasting. So this is an interesting thing about like exponential markets like crypto, because um, your gains are very quick so that there's like an extraordinary amount of euphoria people uh, sense because like the the numbers just like look astro astronomically high and then but on the way down it's extremely painful because the, or if you started with a lot of your your base money 
let's say you worked for a hundred grand and now it's worth 10 because your, your coin or whatever went down. It's very psychologically traumatic to people for sure. <laughs> like that's something that, uh, uh, feels different. Um, yeah, especially like if it's eating on away at your ability to live normally. So it's like, oh shit, I paid them. I used my mortgage money on the, you know, my crypto buy. And I thought I was going to two X by next month, but instead what happened is I, it's down 50%. Now I can't afford the mortgage. Now I got to like sell low to try to get the mortgage paid and whatever else. It's just like, so those kinds of behaviors people do, um, are, are extraordinarily traumatic and people do this stuff all the time. It's kind of like, it's, it's funny if it didn't happen so often, but, um, that's, that's why like when people see Twitter timelines and people post like, Oh, I have like five X leverage and look, I'm up, you know, $200,000 or something. And someone's like, Oh wow, you made that much money on that little money. And they, they get excited, right? It's very easy to get enticed by gambling. Um, and certainly like the, 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 what happens is, is like, if you happen to win a few times on leverage trading, um, then you think you're some genius and, um, what you'll do next time is you'll say, Ooh, I was really smart this time. I'm really good at this. I'm going to put more money into it. Um, so it might even be like, you know, you're doing it not to gamble, but you feel like you're being rational, but what in fact you're doing is gambling, but the, your brain is already addicted to it at that point because you have experienced this huge win. So the, almost the best thing that can happen to you is early on in crypto, um, losing money is probably a good thing. <laughs> not not losing so much that you, you know, you, you, enough to you get an education, but not enough so that you're completely jaded by the whole thing, and you disappear because those people, you know, you know, basically like, if you get traumatized by your behavior in some financial market, then what happens is the next season, the next season after that, you miss it because you're like, you know, that'd be like my dad. He didn't buy enough stock after the dot com crash because he was so traumatized by the dot com crash that it sort of fucked him over for many, many years. And he didn't step back into stocks for a long time. I happened to be just started working after the dot-com crash. So I didn't experience that personally. And so, you know, buying stocks two years after the dot-com crash, you could have thrown darts at a dartboard and you got rich. So yeah. the thing is like, does that mean I was a genius or just lucky? No, I was just lucky. It was just the time was right. And, um, you know, but, but then you realize, wait a minute, like, if you realize early it was luck, like it just happened to be that my time was like the right time to buy in, then you realize, wait a minute, that, that future times are going to come where you're going to get good times as well that you can buy in. And that's why like I bought some things during the 2008 financial crisis. Um, I bought some stuff like um, late in 2022 when a lot of stuff was docs and stuff were down. So then I realized like, okay, like how do you get lucky again and again? It's not so much luck. You just have, you cannot shy away from the market when it's really, really down. And uh, that's what it is. Nice. I'm gonna I'm tell you something. When the world starts to get really bad and these mugs out here robbing, you gonna love digital currency. All these motherfuckers, they be running and gunning and I'm all like, I'm sitting back just having fun in the sun and then I'm like one out of a hundred. I'm just building up on it. So some of everything we built are in the last hundred upsets. You're getting salty, feeling faulty. You ain't no man. I keep robo here, grinning ear to ear, throwing up anarchy, smoking toilet trees, spitting philosophies. Look at the dossier. We rack like geology. There's layers to this shit. Like it's sedimentary. All these little onion peels getting torn off and buried. Imagine the smell. That shit is a vital experience without knowing how you will not survive, period. Uh, <laughs> he's a fucking trip, man. Jimmy, if you Jimmy, if you listen to this, right, you're getting absolutely fucking ripped to death, like on a space of life, you little troglodyte bastard. I hope you fucking listen, I hope you come to my house, son. I swear to God, man. I've got
motherfucking loads of weapons on my dogs, man. Mate, you just a little rat, man. Go on. Fuck off, man. Do one. Harmony. Me and Neil, the one. Do you looking for a fucking job? You fucking idiot. You've just been fucking up with this. Fuck off. Trying to change the course of the portion philosophy I'm just here for the corporation sponsored lobotomy Feels like I won the lottery Like I'm ghost in this pottery Chill, Demi Boy, the shit's supposed to be haunting If it wasn't, ain't no puzzle You would try to train your muscle Air dropping like a fatal hustle But the pay is busting Think of all the loss of crew Just to pick up off the tricky custom Not to hear all those sub Would make up for something I guess it just goes to show The fuck do I know? At least it's quiet over here I like my little silo It's better than watching them fight Over how to divide my time between Sitting at the desk and the ride home Devs at Mickey D's, they leeching off that Wi-Fi Zapdos and Moldy shipping more than five guys Console open, waiting for the kamikaze When the flash phones bang, they feeling like paparazzi Snapshot motherfuckers We got layers, meteora jawbreaker We cracking a lot of craters We rapping a lot of pay dirt Maxing out relayers Imagine the smell, five dollar wrench to your dark Vader it's, it's really funny uh, to us at Binance That everyone here is talking about uh, blockchain attack. We know who all the validators are. We know, who, we know where they live. And we're, and we're going to their house with a wrench, a big wrench. And we will attack them with the wrench. And then we will take their validator node physically and put it in a truck and drive it to China. Right, so this is an extension of the, the activities you performed on, on BTC, right? Uh, funding and creating these massive uh, Bitcoin mines, putting them in caves, putting them in, in uh, factories that were abandoned in the past, and also using electromagnetic pulse bombs to detonate uh, the USA and the other country mines, right? So you're now applying this strategy to, to Lunk uh, in order to take over the chain, is that correct? Uh, it's more simple. There's no uh, EMP bomb. It's just a van of men in uh, Balaclava, and they have wrench, and they're taking the physical validators from people's houses. They are usually very fat and they're usually uh, in the shower with, you know, with trying to wash uh, their mice uh, droppings off their uh, clothes. So it's very simple. We just walk in and we take it. But if there's someone who is sitting at the computer or sleeping at the computer, we, uh, we hit them with the wrench really, really hard. And then they say, stop, don't do that again. And we say, that's okay. 